welcome to the 132nd episode of the So Video Games Podcast, where we talk about any game at all, including new stuff, old stuff, and anything in between. If we are playing it, we will be talking about it. Today, we are recording on May 22nd, 2019. My name is Brad Galloway. I am the editor of GameCritics.com, and I am 50% of this here show with me. As always, Corey Motley, staff writer at Game Critics. How you doing, Corey? I am doing very well, Brad. I am going to spring something on you because I just remembered it. Oh, shit. Oh, shit. Um, I have a tiny bit of, or it's not so much housekeeping as it is like new video game news to bring to the show. I don't have to say it right this second, but I do have something to talk about before we jump into games whenever you're ready. Well, maybe just, I mean, we're kind of just on a game track right now. I don't think we have a lot of preamble to get through. I got a couple little small notes. I mean, maybe this is the good time to do it. Let's just do it. Let's just do it. Let's go for it. What is your, what's your game news, man? Um, I just wanted to say that um, I'm a little bit sad and heartbroken because last week, I meant to bring this up on the show last week, but I forgot to, but it's a good thing I didn't because last week's show was already like 600 years long without me talking about this. So, um... I discovered via Twitter that the development studio Ultra Ultra, which made their debut game, the amazing Echo. Do you remember this game, Brad? Oh, yeah. It was the one about the lady that was, like, real stylish, and she, like, she got cloned or something, and it was kind of like a stealth game. Yes, it is the game. Yeah. Yeah, it's by Ultra Ultra. It's a game about a woman who goes to this, like, space, like... Uh, I don't even know what to call it, like a mansion thing. I don't know. It's very fantastical. And it's, it's the main hook of the game is that she, whatever she does in the game, her clone enemies will remember and then do back to her. So like, if you run, then they'll run. If you shoot, they'll shoot. And it was great. Um, I loved it. It wasn't perfect, but I did enjoy it an awful lot. It's one of the most original games I've played in a long time. It's kind of like, like it was like the super hot of that year. Like the, I guess I need to like make an official, so video games award of like the super hot originality award or something. Um, But I'm very, very, very sad to report that that studio shut down last week. Wow. Really? After just that one game? Yeah. They're no longer a studio anymore. They came together. um, From my understanding, it was a lot of ex hitman developers. I don't know if they left hitman of their free will or IO interactive or if they got laid off at some point and then came together. But that was kind of another big hook that got me in. Cause obviously I'm a huge hitman fan. I mean, we both are. So I'm um, knowing that some of those minds were behind it. So they came together, they formed a studio called ultra ultra. They made echo, which I loved, but yeah, last week they announced that uh, ultra ultra is no longer a thing. However, echo is still on sale everywhere. It's still out for Xbox one for PC for PS4. Um, I wish I could say, hey, go buy it to support the studio, but honestly, I don't really know where the money that you're buying the game is going toward anymore. Um, I can't remember who published it or if they self-published, but yeah, I I didn't mean to get the show started off on a sad note, but I did want to report that Ultra Ultra is no longer a development studio, and I am pretty sad about it. Well, that's too bad. I mean, it's always sad to hear that people are kind of, um, you know, not finding the success that they want. I'm sure they got into this hoping they were going to launch something big. Um, and I did play Echo a little bit. I fell off it because I don't think I was reviewing it at the time. And so I had to, like, just get a quick taste and then move on to something that I was actually on the hook for. I had always kind of planned to come back to it. But I did hear some people say that it had some problems. Um, but you did you actually finish it all the way through? Yeah, you didn't have review duties for it because this guy did. I reviewed it for our site. 
Oh, perfect. Okay, yeah, I knew I didn't do it, but I couldn't remember who <laughs> did it. But but you ended up liking it, and you did finish it, right? Yeah, I did finish it. I liked it. It. I can't. I'm trying to actually look up the freaking review score that I gave it right now as I talk. I want to say it was like an eight or something because I really liked it. I think the ending it got a little bit iffy toward the end, but I, overall I thought it was incredibly original, very stylish, very cool premise. Um, I really enjoyed it. You know, like I said, one of the most original things I've played in a while. So um, yeah, if you haven't, I'm just. I guess I'm just trying to remind everybody if you haven't played it or if you're interested, uh, please give this game a shot. It is wonderful. Okay, that's good, because it's one of those things that I always meant to come back to. I remember, like, I think I put maybe like an hour into it, and I remember being extremely intrigued by it. Uh, but I just, you know, you just can't play everything, and it just wasn't in the cards whatever year that was. It came out one last year or whatever it was. Oh, um, here we go. Hold on. I found it. Okay, my, okay. My official Game Critics score, I gave it an 85, so I scored it higher than I thought I did. And listen to, I love Game Critics, or I love Metacritic pull quotes whenever they pull... Um, an excerpt from your review because you don't get to choose what they pull and I love when they pull a good one. Listen to this. This is very bittersweet. My pull quote is uh, begin quote um, although Echo fizzles out instead of building to a crescendo, I still loved it. I mean, we're talking instant entry into the top five games I've played this year. It's just a shame that Ultra Ultra doesn't keep layering in mechanics and that the story lost focus. However, despite these issues, Echo remains an incredibly strong debut from a developer I'll be keeping my eye on in the future. Oh, <laughs> no. no. Damn it. Well, you can say that you're a true fan who followed them for their entire career, I suppose. <laughs> I mean, I guess here we are because I'm still keeping my eye on them, and it just happens to be that they're no longer a thing, but... Who knows? Okay. Hopefully they'll get... I mean, usually when developers leave studios, they join other studios and continue to make games. So hopefully I wish everybody the best who works for Ultra Ultra, and I'm very sad about this. Yeah, well, hopefully they find work elsewhere. Maybe they go back to the Hitman team. Maybe they do something new. I wish them all the best. And uh, you have given me new reason to come back to Echo, which I meant to do originally, and I just kind of forgot. So thank you for the reminder. That is excellent. Um, the other thing I think we should talk about before we get into proper games chat is, uh, you know, we I said a couple weeks ago that we were going to be giving away games every week, and you guys are making a liar out of me. Not because, <laughs> not because I haven't been giving games away, but because you guys are not claiming the free games I'm trying to give you. <laughs> I am stunned that last week I said I would give away some Switch games. I didn't mention which ones. Or no, no, that's not right. Xbox One. Xbox One games. My bad. I said I was going to give away Xbox games. Not a single person wrote in. Now, listen, you guys. Listen. I'm looking at the numbers. I know you guys are listening. We are not a show that has zero listeners. It, there's literally no effort involved in this. Send us an email. I'll tell you what would have happened. Here's what would have happened. If you had taken five seconds to write me an email last week, I didn't tell you what the game was. You want to know what fucking game you were going to get? Resident Evil 2, motherfuckers. That's what I had to give away for free. Brand Man. new Resident Evil 2. The whole oh. deluxe package. It went unclaimed. Nobody wanted to pick it up. I, I was like, man, I was going to surprise somebody with this cool, awesome, great game that came out this year. Corey, you loved it. I thought it was quite good, too. So I'm a little disappointed, you guys. I'm trying to give you guys some free games, and no one, no one is claiming them. So that is very surprising to me, very disappointing. <laughs> I'm a little, I'm, I'm giving you that stern dad look right now, you guys. I'm kind of... <laughs> I'm not mad. I'm not mad, but I'm kind of disappointed. Can uh, we can we chalk this up to the Xbox One being garbage, and that's why people didn't want to claim anything for it? 
See, that's what I was kind of thinking, because I know there's a couple hardcore Xbox fans out there who really love it and swear by it, but you guys, no offense, you guys are totally the minority. Like, most people, I think, this generation are PS4 people, and I get that. I get that, so maybe that's the, maybe that's the problem. Maybe that's the problem. So, okay, I'm going to give you guys one more shot, and if we don't get any takers, then fuck it. I'm not going to give anyway any more games, and we're going to just, we can't have nice things, and that's just what's going to happen. <laughs> so, if this week last literally the last chance i'm going to do to do this i'll give away some switch games and i'll even tell you what they're going to be this week just because maybe that's the problem as well i don't know i'll give away a copy of let's see typewriter which is a really cool art house game i played that myself enjoyed that one quite a bit i will give away a copy of yuso which i think is a uh, fast arcadey action puzzle game i'll give away a copy of Shadow Fight 2, if you're a fighting game fan, I'll give away a copy of Rogue Legacy, if you're a roguelike fan, and I'll give away a motherfucking copy of Onimusha on Switch, if you're an action Ooh. fan. So, look, those are fucking all decent games, you guys, like, and they're free. Literally, all you gotta do, email us and say, hey, I heard your show, I'd like a free game. All you gotta do, easiest fucking contest. And I swear to God, if we don't get a single fucking entry, fuck it. I'm not just, I'm not doing this no more, Corey. You can't make me. I'm done. If, if nobody, here's what's going to happen. If nobody asks for free games, then I'm going to take Onimusha and nobody's going to get it. And I'm going to take Resident Evil 2, even though I already own a motherfucking copy. I'll take another one and you guys can all suck it. How about that? That's totally fine. I wanted to go to a home that would appreciate it. I was so I was so looking forward to surprising somebody be like, doom, here's Resident Evil 2, brand new hot off the press for you guys. Okay, whatever. We can't have nice things, I guess. So listen, last chance. You want a free Switch game? All you got to do is email. The email is coming up at the end of the show. But in fact, I'll even do you one more solid. I'll tell it to you right now in case you don't even want to listen to the whole show because that's what a flexible guy I am. You can email <laughs> us. Email us at sovideogamespodcast at gmail.com. Literally just say, please send me a free Switch game. That's all you got to do. Easy. Fucking easy. Okay. <laughs> now that I've got that out of my system... Let's talk about some games. Corey, I'm going to turn it off to you this week to start us. Uh, you've been playing Castle of Heart on the Switch. I have played this myself. I will reserve comments until you've uh, given us your piece. Uh, please tell us what it's about and what you thought. I would love to. I will let you cool off for a minute while I take the floor to talk about games. Um, <clears throat> so I bought... I'm guilty as charged of coming to the show and saying, oh, I found a game on sale for like $5 or whatever, and I wanted to try it. And this is... Exactly the same situation here. I recently bought a couple games on Switch. I bought Castle of Heart, and I bought... Um, <clears throat> God damn it. I bought something else, and I can't remember what it's called. But Oh, Coffee, Coffee Crisis. I bought Castle of Heart and Coffee Crisis. They were both... I don't know if they're still on sale, but they were both on sale at the time on the Switch store for like... They were literally like $1.50 or like $1.40 a piece. Um, so I bought both of them, and I'll probably talk about Coffee Crisis later, as in like another show. I'm going to talk about Castle of Heart right now. Um, However, despite my preamble getting into this, I actually have not played Castle of Heart that much, um, which is why it's my first game, because um, I've been busy playing another game, which I'll talk about later, that's been taking up all my free time. But Castle of Heart is a, it's kind of a, a Metroidvania, I kind of hate using that, I kind of feel the same about Metroidvania as I do about Walking Simulator, but... I, it's kind of a Metroidvania game. It's a side-scrolling um, 2D action game, but it's rendered in 3D, so there's, like, fully kind of realized worlds around you rather than it just being, like, 2D sprites. And you play as a knight 
who dies at the beginning of the game. I know I'm going to fuck the story up on this, so please, like, don't hold it against me, everybody. Um, he, like, dies, and then he gets brought back to life by somebody who, like, kisses him or something. I can't really remember all the details. The story is also not that important. I have a feeling the more I play it, the less important it's going to get. But it's basically a side-scrolling action game. You have your sword that you always have. You can pick up secondary weapons along the way. And something that's interesting about secondary weapons is that you you just kind of, like, there's not, like, a... It's not like Castlevania where you have, like, your primary hand button and your secondary hand attack button. You just have one attack button, and the person kind of, like, alternates between using their arms to attack, which I guess is fine. However, sometimes the secondary we weapon can be a ranged weapon, like spears to throw or a crossbow to shoot. In that case, there's a separate projectile button, and, like, there's a, a targeting system on the screen that you don't control, just auto-target stuff, but you can alternate between targets to switch, and you press the attack button, and then he shoots the crossbow or whatever. Uh, it's very platform-heavy. You're doing a lot of jumping, a lot of running around. You're also doing a lot of fighting. Whenever you start the game... It has, I think, two difficulty levels. I picked the easy difficulty level because I have learned my lesson in the past that sometimes I go for normal or hard and it's just not worth it. And plus, this is the kind of game that I wasn't sure if it was going to be one of those, like, kind of, like, games where it's, like, the main thing of the game is it being difficult, and I didn't really want to mess with that. The good news is that on easy difficulty, it's actually easy. Like, it's not... It doesn't say it's easy, and then it's hard. It's actually easy. So I've been more or less breezing through... Uh, I think I'm like four levels in, just breezing through it. Um, it looks really nice. It plays really well on Switch. Uh, Brad, I don't know what you played it on, but you can um, give me some responses whenever I'm finished. But I like the way it feels on Switch. It looks great. Um, it's a lot of platforming. The platforming is pretty precise. Um, you know, it has the kind of platforming situations where you'll like jump onto a balcony and then the balcony will crumble after two seconds under you. So you kind of really have to keep moving. Um, it's not like super fast and furious it's kind of kind of easy going um there's kind of a, another hook to it where because you're like a cursed knight or something or because you were brought back from the dead your health keeps uh declining as you play the game like it kind of is steadily going down i thought that was going to be a nightmare whenever i started but you get health from killing enemies and the enemies are so abundant and they're so easy to kill that that never becomes a big issue in the game. Like, I never find myself in a stretch of the game where, like, my health is almost all the way out because I haven't killed somebody in a while. Like, it kind of makes me wonder why the mechanic is even there in the first place because it's so easy to get around. Maybe it's worse in the normal mode or if there's a hard mode, uh, worse than that. But, I mean, I don't really feel like I have a lot to say. Like, it's a competent side-scrolling action game. It's not too hard. It's pretty easygoing. It's pretty realistic, um, slightly whimsical because of its, like, night, you know, medieval kind of thing it has going on. Um, but I like it. I will probably keep playing it. So far, there's nothing jumping out at me in it that's, like, really egregious or really bad. It's just, like, it's not amazing. It's not... I would say it's above average. It's competent. Um, so if you're looking for a cheap, I don't know if it's on sale, like I said, but if you're looking for a cheap side-scroller that kind of scratches a little bit of a Castlevania itch, um, I recommend this. Interesting. This is fascinating to hear. You're going to tell me that you hated it and that it's garbage. Is that what's going to happen here? I mean, yes, but there's something <laughs> there's something that goes along with that. So hold, hold, on, hold tight for one second okay. here because uh, I played this pretty close to when it released. Um, 
And listening to you describe it, it sounds like you're describing a totally different game. Oh, man. Uh, and I know that they have patched this game at least two or three times since release. I have not come back to it after the patches, but clearly they have changed some things because I remember when I was playing it, the I put it on the easiest mode and just, I mean, just, let's just, let's just be, let's aside, aside, pull pull the car over for a minute here, Corey. <laughs> I'm just going to just tell everybody up front here. Whenever I get a new game, if there's an easy mode, I will just put it on easy. I don't care what it is because number one, I think most games skew too difficult. And number two, I just want to have fun. Games are about fun. I want to enjoy myself. If it's too easy and I start getting bored, then I'll kick it up to normal or whatever until it's, until it feels like it's a good challenge or where I'm enjoying myself. But in general, I put it on easy. I don't give a fuck. I have no shame. I don't think anybody should be ashamed about putting it on easy. There's nothing. There's no cred you get. There's no badge. It doesn't give you like 10,000 extra dollars in your income at the end of the year. Like there's no real effect to like playing something on normal or hard unless you like that. If you like it, go for it. Great. But don't shame people who don't like that. And I just play it on easy if it's possible. So I, I don't think there was an easy mode when I played it. I would have put it on easy if there was one. Uh, I, and when I I remember playing it, I remember the controls were pretty janky. I was struggling with the controls and I remember running out of time often, very often running out of time. And I got pretty frustrated with it. And I know that you, um, kind of share my low tolerance for frustration. You don't sound like a frustrated person right now. I am not that. So I'm wondering if those two or three patches since release have drastically changed the character of the game, because before you started talking, I was sure you were going to say this game fucking sucks. I hate it. I got so mad. I quit in half an hour and that's not at all what you said. And so now I'm thinking, okay, clearly they tweaked it because this does not sound like the game I played. I think maybe I should go back and check it out because the idea of being a knight who is like, slowly turning to stone or something? Is that what's going on? He's turning to stone? Is that what happens? I can't remember. All I know is that his health goes down over the course of the game if you're not constantly killing stuff, but I can't remember what the exact circumstances are. I'm pretty sure he's turning to stone slowly. And I was like, oh, that seems like a cool idea. I like 2D games. I like platformers. Like, it seemed like this thing was right up my alley, and I bounced off it really hard, really fast. But uh, I... This sounds to me like there's been a lot of changes. I want to go back to it now. I'll probably download it after the show, give it one more shot, and see how different it is. Because I, this is not at all what I was, what I was expecting to hear. Yeah, I mean, it's been out. I, I See, whenever I bring, especially Switch games to the show, I can never I never remember when they've come out. And I always think, like, oh, they must have come out, like, three months ago. Because in my mind, the Switch is, like, a really young console. Like, oh, it came out, like, a few months ago. So, obviously, all the games must be new. And I know that's not true. Um, according to what looks like Metacritic, this game came out in March of 2018, so it's actually more than a year old. So it would make perfect sense if between then and now they have uh, patched it several times and maybe made things a little bit easier. So, yeah, I mean, I guess, um, you know, you and I often say on the show that the best time to play a game is like six months after it comes out. and At this, least, at least <laughs> At six least, months. yeah. So this might be a perfect example because I, like my tolerance, and you know this, my tolerance for... Especially games that I'm not, like, I didn't come to, like, interested in, per se. Because, like, Castle of Heart, I just bought on a whim. Like, I wasn't like, oh, my God, I can't wait for Castle of Heart to go on sale so I can buy it. Like, I just saw it on the Switch store. It was, like, a dollar and some change. And I thought, of course, I'll give a dollar and some change for this. It looks pretty interesting. Um, so if my, like, 
barrier for entry is already like me not being super interested and then the game is hard, I will stop playing it immediately. Like I do not have the patience for that kind of thing. Um, so, I mean, I feel like that says a lot here because I came to this game like not really knowing what it was, not having really heard of it, not even really super interested, not to be rude, but I just had never heard of it before. I put it on easy mode and so far it's been pretty smooth sailing. Like I haven't really had any problems with it. So, I mean, I guess if anybody's listening and you tried this a year ago when you thought it sucked, then maybe go back and try it again. Maybe it'll be a more pleasant experience because so far I've been having a pretty good time. Like I said, it's not amazing or spectacular or whatever, but it's definitely competent and I've been, you know, I've been okay with it so far. Okay. Well, something definitely has changed because that's not what I was expecting. I will go back and download this because it seemed like it had a lot of potential, but it was just really fucking janky and hard. Uh, but like we said, come to a game six months, a year afterwards, that's the best time to play it because it's finally smoothed out. It's got all the DLC, all the problems been ironed out by that time. So, all right. Well, that is a very curious report. Not what I was expecting, but we <laughs> shall, uh, we'll, we'll, we may talk about it one more time. I'm going to see if I can fire it up. We'll see what happens. Um, let me bring something new to the table here. Overcooked on PS4. Uh, it is currently free for PS Plus members, along with uh, one of your favorite games, Corey, uh, What Remains of Edith Finch. Both of those games are free right now, and I can say that they are both pretty good. I think you're a bigger fan of Edith than I am, uh, but I still thought Edith was okay. And Overcooked, I had heard about for a million years, but I'd never played. And now that I'm playing it, I can see why people liked it. Um, have you ever played Overcooked, or do you know what it's about? I have seen the tile for it on the PlayStation <clears throat> Store about a million times over, but I've never looked into it. I think I might have downloaded it because I know it's free this month, but I have never played it. Okay, so it is primarily a multiplayer-focused game, like couch co-op, um, not really like online. Uh, you can play it by yourself. I'm not sure if I would recommend that. I haven't tried it yet, but it's clearly... Uh, I believe it was originally intended to be a co-op experience. Two people, they have since patched in up to four. Uh, I've played it with two people and three people. I gotta be honest, I think I probably prefer it with two. Uh, but three works just fine as well. The premise is that you are a chef, or you're a group of chefs, uh, and there is a giant doomsday monster that is just generally unhappy, and your chef skills are not sharp enough to, like, make enough food that's good enough for the monster so you get sent back in time to hone your chef skills to like eventually be good enough to come back to that final battle and make that monster happy this sounds ridiculous but in like the best way it is it is totally ridiculous i did not expect any of this backstory i was a little bit surprised when i'm like oh there's actually like a doomsday scenario in this cooking multiplayer game and oh that's that's fresh that's new um so you go back in time you and your partner uh and you just the controls are very simple. It's a top-down, kind of looks like 16-bit Legend of Zelda presentation, kind of isometric. Uh, you have two... Okay, that's not true. You have three buttons. No, that's not true. You have four buttons. <laughs> you have um, interact, which is like pick up and put down. You have chop. You have dash, where you can just run real fast across the kitchen. And the fourth button is to swear. When you get frustrated, you can just start cussing. <laughs> A little like, you know, hashtag, at sign, uh, exclamation point, all starts streaming out of your mouth and you go, rrr, 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 which is kind of funny just for <laughs> just for shits and giggles. Um, so what happens is each kitchen is split up in a weird way and you give you have these really simple recipes. It'll be like a burger. You need a bun and you need to have a piece of meat. You tenderize the meat, you fry the meat, you put the meat on the bun and then you add 
lettuce or tomato if desired by the person. And so like this little recipe shows up on the top of the screen. It's very easy to read, very clear. And then you have to make these things. But the trick is that like, for example, you can grab the meat like on the right side of the kitchen, but the place where you need to chop it is on the left side of the kitchen. So like you got to run back and forth or you can pass it off to your, your partner and they can do it. And sometimes there's like barriers. So sometimes it's not even just a matter of traveling back and forth across the room. Sometimes you physically can't get there. So like there might be a barrier in the middle of the room. So you're like, okay, we got to make a burger. Hey, give me the steak. And then that person gets the steak. They give it to you across the barrier. You take the steak, <laughs> you chop the steak up, but then the frying pan is on the uh, the side that it just came from. So you're like, shit, chop this thing up real quick. Make it a burger. Send it back to their side. They fry it. Okay, it's all fried. Where's the buns? Fuck, it's on the other side of the room. Okay, so then you send the burger back across the other side of the room and you go back and forth. And so it requires a lot of coordination between um, people. And on top of that, there's always constantly like more orders coming in. So like the first one will be like, burger, lettuce, and tomato. The next one, just a burger, nothing on it. Next one, like burger with lettuce. And like you got to like juggle all these things at the same time. And it's like totally like the most fucked up, inconvenient fucking kitchen you've ever seen because not only is there barriers sometimes, like they're like lopsided. So like, everything's on one side and one thing's on the other side. And so like one person's got to work a lot harder or sometimes the pieces move or like the bin where you get the burger out of is on the left side, but then sometimes it'll like travel to the right side. Like a little ghost <laughs> will pick it up and move to the other side. And you're like, fuck, I came over here and the burger's over here. It's not here anymore. Where the fuck the burger? Oh, it's on the other side. Oh shit. You got to run over there and get it. And so you're constantly doing this whole, like, you know, you're like washing dishes, you're serving food, you're, you're cutting food, you're passing things off to your buddy. You're just running back and forth. Um, it's actually, I mean, it sounds kind of weird. I don't know if this sounds appealing to anybody. And to be honest, I've seen it a billion times and I never really was interested enough to pick it up, but it's free this month. And I'm like, well, whatever. And once we started playing, I'm like, oh, this is actually really quite fun. Like it's way more fun than it looks, way more fun than it sounds. And I've heard some people say this is the ultimate relationship uh, testing game. Oh because, my God. Because if you get frustrated or you don't have good communication with your partner, this game will very clearly put a spotlight on that. And you guys will end up yelling at each other and on opposite sides of the couch. I will say, <clears throat> excuse me, my wife and I have a great relationship. So we have not gotten mad at each other. We have great communication and we work together as a team and we're both great gamers. And so I think it's been really fun so far. Um, we have, we've, you know, we have not been just steamrolling the game. I think it does get pretty difficult, but we've had a lot of fun. And like, you know, sometimes you're just really focused and working the best you can. So I think we pass a relationship test, knock on wood. That's great. Um, but I heard, I heard a lot of people say they get into like a fight with their spouse or their partner pretty quickly after starting this game. So maybe heads up on that. Um, uh, but I think it's really fun. I think it's really great. It's a lot more fun than I ever thought it was going to be. It's cute. It's very simple, easy to pick up. I'm not saying that it's easy, but I'm saying it's easy <laughs> to pick up and learn. It's not easy, but you can learn it in a minute. And I think it's worthwhile, especially since it's free. Like I said, free on PS plus, uh, along with Edith Finch this month, you might as well pick them up. There's no reason not to. And I give it a thumbs up. We have not finished the game. We're kind of hitting a rough patch where we're just not cooking fast enough. I don't know what we're going to do, but we're <laughs> we're going to try to figure it out. I really would like to finish this game. It's been a lot of fun. Um, but I give it a thumbs up. Definitely, definitely liking it. Who? Okay, so who designed the damn kitchens where you can't even get everywhere in them? It's fucking, it's ridiculous. <laughs> like, you look at these things. Like, and the other thing I forgot to mention is, like, it's not even just that, but sometimes... Like, one of the levels is you're on a food truck that's actually driving down the road, and oh. then there's another food truck. And so, like, the food truck on one side of the road has the fryer, but the food truck on the other side has the food. And so you're driving, and when the trucks are side by side, no big deal. But then, like, something happens, and the food trucks have to split up. And so, like, you cannot – you physically cannot even get to the other side of the kitchen. you got to just wait. And sometimes the other person's on the other side, and so, like, you're trying to, like, coordinate. Okay, when the trucks get back together, 
run and do the burger real quick and I'll get the salad real quick and we'll do the, you know, and then like you got to do that like in time or sometimes you're on like a pirate ship and the ship is rocking and so everything <laughs> is on the right side of the ship and then the waves hit and then everything like slides over to the left side of the ship and you're like, fuck, that's on the wrong side of the ship now and you're like, you're running back and forth. So like ridiculous shit happens. I mean, these are all like these impossible, you know, absurd situations that no chef in their right mind would ever put up with in real life. Uh, but it does make for a pretty interesting play experience. Please tell me that there is a level that's like on a spaceship and the burgers are just like floating in space and you have to like jump and catch them out of the air. That very well may be. We actually just got to the the latest level. We haven't finished the game, but the next level is actually set in outer space. Oh, hell so yeah. Okay. I, I don't know that that's what's going to happen because we haven't unlocked it yet, but that is the next thing is we are definitely in the space among the stars. So we'll see what happens when we get there. Oh my God. So. I have to play this now. This sounds incredible. I need to sit Patrick down and we need to try to play it co-op together. Because this sounds like when you talk about a game that can like make or break your relationship, it sounds in a similar vein to like uh, uh, Lovers in a Dangerous Space Time to me. Um, how would you like compare it to sort of like the co-op in that game? Very similar sort of vibe. Um, I think that in Lovers in a Dangerous Space Time, I f it feels like the game can spiral out of control a lot quicker uh, because you're moving in space. There's things that are trying to actually actively kill you. You have multiple stations. I don't. It doesn't feel as chaotic as Space Time. I do enjoy that one too. I'm not shit talking it. I think that's a fun game, <laughs> and I like it. Uh, this one feels more controlled and it feels smaller. It doesn't feel as challenging in the same way, but definitely similar vibe, similar energy of like running around and really trying to focus. Like, like with Lovers in a Dangerous Space Time, we would often be like, "Oh, get to the gun, get to the shield." Oh no, I'm on the shield. No, you get the shield. Like you know, we kind of <laughs> do that thing. But in in Overcooked, we're very often head down fingers are moving really fast like just kind of like production line like doing the food and i'll be like oh you know i need a dish i need a dish okay there's a dish there's a steak there's a steak. okay there, oh, there's ketchup there's ketchup. you know like it, it, it's got a same tenseness to it but it doesn't have the same chaos if that makes any sense okay i can get down with this i need to play this and report back because i never although i'm pretty sure i downloaded it it was not really on my list to play but after you talked about it it sounds really incredible and incredibly silly it is both of those things. Um, <laughs> we really like it a lot. I really want to finish it. And I'm, I I would even pony up for... Um, there's two pieces of DLC. Uh, and I think there's also a sequel, Overcooked 2. So as long as we can get through this first one, I think we're on board for the rest of it. But yeah, I give it a thumbs up, man. Give it a try. It's free. Uh, see what you and Patrick think. I bet if you guys are a good team, you'll uh, just kick right into it. All right. I will report back on this for sure. Patrick's actually going to be out of town all weekend for Memorial Day weekend, but maybe next week we'll play it whenever he gets back. Sounds good. Sounds good. I look forward to it. Now, I'm turning the reins over to you, sir. You have a fairly chunky game to discuss uh, that I am pretty curious about. Now, i got to ask you, uh, do we need to put up a spoiler warning for this? Um, I Yeah, I mean, I think we should. I... Like, I want to talk about this game kind of inside and out, but I also feel like the game... Like, even if it gets spoiled, it's not really... Like, it doesn't really matter that much because the story is so fucking stupid. It doesn't really make a difference. But for the sake of transparency, um, I want to talk about Far Cry New Dawn, which came out recently uh, by Ubisoft. I finished it over the weekend, and I want to talk about all of it. So if you're somebody who wants to play it and you think that the sanctity of the story is worth not listening to the next segment, uh, please, by all means, uh, skip the segment, p press pause, whatever. I will have in the show notes 
um, timestamps for when we start talking about the spoiler stuff, which will be like right now, versus um, the end of the segment, which is where the spoilers will go away and move on to the next game. Usually we do our spoiler game last. However, Brad has one more game to talk about after this. So it's a little bit, I realize that's a little bit inconvenient, but I'm sorry. I just want to talk about this game and I want to talk about all of it. So please, um, you know, if you think that's rude or whatever, just email us and say, hey, don't do this again, and then, which we probably will do it again. But um, whoops, I just want to talk about this game. So timestamps, check the show notes, put it on pause, and we're going to warning, into Spoiler it. warning, spoiler warning, spoiler warning. You've been warned. This is a spoiler warning for Far Cry New Dawn, but we will be talking about one more game after this. So come back if you want to hear about the last game. Yes. Uh, but there you go. Spoiler warning. Uh, Corey, take it away. Far Cry New Dawn. Okay, so I talked about... Did I talk on the show recently about how uh, Gamefly was taking 100 years to send me this game? You did mention that they were taking an extremely and unusual long time, yes. Yeah, it was kind of bananas. Like, I, I assumed that something had gotten messed up or that it had gotten lost in the mail, so I actually filed, like, a report. The nice thing about Gamefly, like, sometimes it takes games a long time to get to you, but I've only had it happen maybe two or three times where a game has not made it to me, and then you just go on their website, and there's, like, a like a reporting system where you just say like, Hey, the game never got delivered. And then, I mean, I'm sure if you do it like every week, they probably will like shut down your account, but because I haven't had to do it that often, I just get an email the next day. That's like, Oh, we're sorry. We'll send you the game again. So of course I file a report saying that the game didn't get to me. So the next fucking day, the game comes in the mail. <laughs> of course it did. Of course it did. If I did not report it, it never would have come in the mail. But because I reported it, it came in the mail. And then a week later, another copy came in the mail. So I'm currently the proud owner of two copies of Far Cry New Dawn, both of which I will send back to Gamefly because I am an upstanding and honest gentleman. Because um, I could totally get away with keeping one of them if I wanted to because they wouldn't know the difference. Uh, but I don't feel the need to hang on to this game, so I'm going to send both of them back. But... Yes, so I played Far Cry New Dawn over the past uh, week or so. So to give a little bit of background information, I have played every Far Cry since 3. 3 is the one on Xbox 360 and PS3 that kind of like revamped the series a little bit and kind of really took off and became a hit. And Ubisoft, in true fashion... They found success with one game and then have just copied and pasted that format of the game every single year since then because they came out with Far Cry um, 4. They have Far Cry Blood Dragon, which is kind of an offshoot DLC, standalone DLC thing. They had Far Cry Primal, which was the um, sort of like, how would you describe Primal? What's the word I'm looking for, Brad? I mean, it's a prehistoric caveman sort of an open world game. Prehistoric was exactly the word I was looking for. I knew you would know. Um, yeah, it is prehistoric. It's like spears and arrows. Because most Far Cries take place in like a jungle or like a mountainous area. But you always have like some machine guns and rocket launchers. But Primal was all like sticks and stones and cavemans. Which definitely gave it a lot of different flavor compared to the other games. And Brad, you loved Primal, didn't you? I loved Primal. I thought it was great. I did not play very much of any of the other Far Cries, so I think that I wasn't as burned out on them as other people were, so I kind of came to it fresh. Uh, I thought it was great. I had a wonderful time with it. I did, like, literally everything in that game, 100% of it. I thought it was great. <laughs> okay, I thought so. And I played all of Primal, and maybe I was a little down on it because I had played all the other ones, but I'm not really into 
like not having guns and shooters. So I liked, I didn't really like, I mean, you do have like a bow and arrow, but I didn't really like not having guns and stuff. It just wasn't for me, but I did play all of it. So, you know, what does that say about me? Um, and then there was Far Cry 5, which came out two years ago or last year, last year. Um, and it was Far Cry 5 was the much publicized one that, kind of it was set in montana but it kind of looks like it was set in you know kind of like a rural backwoods maybe midwestern area and it got a lot of attention because it looks like the game was sort of like a take on like republican america in a way and like backwoods like rednecks and sort of like um religious cults and there was a lot of marketing that sort of led you to believe that the game was going to be a big sort of like political statement about like you know, conservative America and religion and cults. And of course, uh, it really wasn't that. I mean, it, that's what the game's about, but it really didn't have much of an impact on like American politics like everybody thought it was going to do. Uh, probably, I would say for better or for worse, but it's actually probably for worse. But whatever, I still played all of it. And then now we have Far Cry New Dawn. And the interesting thing about Far Cry New Dawn is that to my knowledge, it is the first like, direct sequel to a Far Cry in a very long time because Far Cry New Dawn is a direct sequel to Far Cry 5 which came out last year because I'm not going to spoil it but there's like stuff that happens at the end of Far Cry 5 and then New Dawn takes place I think it's 20 years after so it's more or less on the same map however it's kind of like a reclaimed earth thing going on where like plants have regrown and I mean Far Cry 5 is not urban it's still like mountains it's grass it's trees it's like little villages and you know some houses every once in a while but far cries are not generally urban games so i mean kind of like an urban regrowth thing is kind of a weird thing to say here but basically like there's just a lot more plant life a lot of the buildings are kind of more broken down and sort of like decomposed in a way um and far cry new dawn definitely fits the cookie cutter mold of exactly what every far cry has done before it because in far cry 3 you had a main bad guy named Voss, and he was kind of like um, I don't even know how to explain him. Um, but, like, I didn't realize it until now, but Far Cry has always put the villains on the cover of the games. For some reason, that didn't click with me until I played New Dawn. Um, but, like, Far Cry always tries to do this thing where they, like, really play up the main bad guy of the game and make them, like this big, like, Bond villainy characterized, like, give them a lot of dialogue and, you know, a lot of kind of backstory. And, I mean, bless Ubisoft's hearts, try as they might, I never find the characters interesting in these games ever. Like, the villains are never interesting. The main character is always a silent protagonist. None of the side characters are ever interesting. And, like, no game has yet to change my mind on that, except for maybe Blood Dragon, because Blood Dragon was an homage to, like, Terminator and RoboCop and, like, 80s classic movies, and it did not have a silent protagonist. And it was so ridiculous and so out there, and it was very, like, you know, vaporwave, neon. I mean, part of the enemies in the games are literally, like, robot dinosaurs that you can that shoot lasers out of their eyes. It was just so ridiculous, and that's why I loved it, because it really went off the rails of what all the other copy-pasted Far Cries are like. So in New Dawn, it does the same thing. You have two main bad guys. They are the twins. They are two sisters who sort of run like a I don't know, a cult I guess so you have like more of like the people who are survivors of an incident living on the land who are kind of just like trying to hunt and keep to themselves 
And, you know, they're not like, it's not like Primal where they're back in like prehistoric ages. You know, they're wearing jeans and t-shirts. They have assault rifles and stuff. And then you have the twins who lead the faction of the highwaymen. And they're, you know, like the hot pink neon, you know, wearing biker gear and helmets and spray painting everything and raising hell. And it does, this game does the same fucking thing that every Far Cry does, which pisses me off so much. At the, at the beginning of every one of these games, you play as somebody, you get kidnapped by the main villain of the game in one way or another, and then you get away from them, even though the villains have a perfectly good excuse to kill you right then and there. You always get away from them, which immediately lets you know that the main villains are not a threat to be taken seriously, because you always get away from them. And over the course of all these games, you always end up in a situation where you meet with the villain over and over again, and for some reason you get away from them or they let you get away or they put you in some kind of like James Bond, like stroke saw trap room thing. You can always get out of instead of just murdering you. Cause if they were real good villains, they would just murder you and the game would be over. And I realized that you would die and that would be the end of it. But I feel like that would be a more satisfying conclusion than what happens in all these games. And because of the open world nature of these games, you will see the main villains at the beginning of the game. You'll get away from them. You'll spend 10 hours or so, you know, liberating bases, doing side missions, doing main missions, you will not hear a peep out of the main villain. And then suddenly they'll pop up in some stupid-ass cutscene, they'll trap you, you'll get away from them, and then it'll be another 10 hours, you will never hear from them, you'll be doing your side missions, you'll be doing whatever you want to do, and then suddenly they'll pop back up in some stupid pigeonholed scenario. And I just cannot stand the way that far, the Far Cry developers sort of do this every single time. It's like they think that they're making these like super compelling, super interesting, really rich, really deep villains that have a lot of this like James Bond villain appeal, but really they're just annoying and they just talk a lot and then they let you escape, which shows that they're pretty awful villains and I can't stand the way they do this, but nevertheless, this is pretty much a copied and pasted Far Cry, just like everything that's come before it. You start in a main area, you have your base, you have to like build up areas of your base. Whenever you build up areas, you can like unlock more guns to craft. You can unlock better health uh, options. You can unlock better vehicles to build, to drive around. You have side missions, you have main missions, you have sidekicks that you can do side missions for and then recruit them for your faction. Um, it's very, although it's kind of like an overgrown urban situation, um, that doesn't really change much of the landscape. The big thing about this game is that it's very colorful. Um, a lot of Far Cry's before it, although they're set in the wilderness, they're kind of drab for more or less. Uh, you know, it's very woodsy green, but not bright green. But in this game, it's like, there are like hot pink flowers everywhere. The bad guys have spray painted stuff, hot pink everywhere. They have like train car and cargo pods that are like hot pink. Every, like it, it's kind of like, I don't know. It's like a, in a direct comparison to Rage 2, which I haven't played, where it's like trying to be really over the top with like hot pink and neon blue and like all this stuff. And I do appreciate that aesthetic to the game because it does make it a little more interesting than just like driving through drab woods all the time. But I still don't think it's enough to really keep me interested. However, all I've done is complain about Far Cry New Dawn since I started talking about it about 10 minutes ago. One complaint after another, after another, after another, after the entire series. But I kid you not, I don't know what it is about these games. I spent 
all day Sunday, pretty much from when I woke up to when I went to bed playing this game, and I could not stop playing it. I don't know. It's just the formula. It's kind of like Christmas morning. It just feels nice to be, like, lulled back into that formula. It's the kind of game that has the same effect on me that far, or that Fallout's do, where I just cannot stop playing them. And even if I'm getting hungry, I'll just say to myself, like, okay... <laughs> Let me just let me just go let me just go to this mission, and then when I get there, I'll stop and I'll make dinner, and then I get what to is, the mission. What is even going on? You literally I don't just know. Pred- you just know, said ben. for like you, you just said it yourself. You just had complaint after complaint, and then you're like, "But I couldn't stop I playing know. this game." I don't what? know. I don't know what it is. What? I don't know. <laughs> I and you know I had thought about this because last year I gave Far Cry Five. It was in my top ten games of the year. It was like number like six or five or something. And I remember at the time thinking. Why did I like this game so much? And now that I'm playing New Dawn, I'm still I'm thinking about that. Like, yeah, it's just because it just feels comfortable. Like, it I'll get to a mission, and I'll say, okay, I'm gonna stop and make dinner, and then I, and then I just say, oh, well, I'm already here, so I'll just play the mission. And then I think, okay, I finished the mission, now I'll make dinner. And then I think, oh, hold on, let me fast travel to the next where the next mission is, and then I'll stop and make dinner. And then I fast travel there, and I think, well, I'm already here, so I might as well just do the mission, right? Like, yeah. And then I do the mission. And then I'm like, well, let me just fast travel to the base, and then I'll stop, and I'll make dinner. And then I get to the base, and I'm like, oh, but I can craft some new guns. Let's see what I can craft now. And then I craft some guns, and I'm like, okay, now that I crafted my guns, I'll stop playing. And then I'm like, but I have these new guns. I have to try them out, don't I? Let me just do one mission. Let me do one side mission, and then and then I'll stop playing. <laughs> and then I go to the side mission, and I play, and I'm like, wow, these guns are okay. Like, let's do this. And then I'm like, well, I can't stop now. I got to do another mission. Like, it's just, it's so weird the way that this game is so formulaic and so like mediocre but it just like every one of them just grabbed me by the balls and i love playing them and they just feel nice and like the base takeovers that's kind of a big thing in the game where like there's different enemy bases where you go in and there there's enemy sentries everywhere and you have to you you essentially have to kill everyone at the base but you can do it really stealthily and there's alarms that you can disable. You can go through and kill everybody stealthily. And if you, like, kill them all without alarming anybody, then you get, like, extra points. A, even if they get alarmed, but or if they see you and then they, if they don't ring the alarm, then you get extra points. But if they see you and ring the alarm, you can still take it over, but you won't get the extra points. And just, like, the feeling of going into those is really satisfying because I'm definitely, like, a stealth kind of guy. So I will plan my routes i will try to do hand-to-hand takedowns with everybody and like stab the ball in the neck eventually i will buy a really cool sniper rifle and i will just stay back in the woods and i will shoot everybody with my sniper rifle and hope that nobody sees a dead body like it's it's almost inexplicable in a the division two kind of way where like every step along the way it's not doing anything that i haven't played before and it's not doing anything new or interesting and it's actually sometimes doing things that actively frustrate me, such as the, the whole twins villain thing that I was talking about earlier in the game. Like, I hate the villains in this game. I hate how much dialogue is in the game. But I just like the feeling of playing them. And I wish that the writers for Far Cry wouldn't take themselves so seriously because every single person in every single one of these games takes about 10 sentences more than they need to describe whatever's going on to get you set on a mission. Like you go to get a mission from somebody and they want to give you 65 years of backstory to talk about the mission. And I'm like, I don't give a fuck lady. Just tell me who I need to go shoot and I will go do it. And that's all you need to tell me. 
And I just feel bad because I know that these writers at Ubisoft probably think that they're like characterizing these people really well, and they're not. And I don't find any characters interesting in any Far Cry game. And like there was even a point in the game where at the very beginning, there's a guy that gets uh, kidnapped with you and you escape. And then I thought, okay, the entire game is going to be like building up to like you getting him back at the very end of the game. Well, no, because the first story mission of the game is you going to rescue him. So that like really threw a wrench in my gears right then, which I guess was okay. And then after you rescue him, I like basically never talked to him for like the rest of the game because I was too busy doing side missions, doing missions for other people. And then he dies later in the game. And like the game sets it up to be this whole like big emotional, like, oh my God, this guy who was supposed to be leading our group died. And I was like, who was he again? Like what, why did I care about him? I didn't care about him. And so just like all of the writing falls super flat for me. I wish that they would just like not try so hard because it just doesn't really work that well for me. And it's just like, I, I hate the stories. I hate the writing. I think they're all terrible, but there's just something about the formula of the game that really just lulls me into this like weird, like hypnotized state of playing and I cannot escape a Far Cry once it has its hooks in me, and I, I can't explain it. I wonder if it's just... I mean, I the, the thing you said about it being comfortable, familiar... I mean, I guess my next question is, is it pretty easy to play? Like, is it not challenging you so that you're kind of just, like, rolling on through it? Because I find sometimes that I'm I'm more inclined to play a game that I'm not really excited about or maybe even kind of bored with but as long as it's not challenging me too much if i'm still making progress then i'll kind of just stay with it is it tough at all or is it pretty easy or is it is it just like you're just doing is it like the equivalent of like knitting where like you just need something to do with your hands kind of a thing <laughs> i mean in a sense yeah and i whenever you start the game if i'm not mistaken you have three difficulty levels to pick from and i'm pretty sure for every far cry before this I always pick the normal difficulty, like the middle one. And it's always harder than I think it's going to be. And I usually get really frustrated. But this time around, I was like, oh, no, no. I'm going to pick the easiest one. And I think that really paid off for me because um, because it was easy. Like, I, I still died a few times. And there were definitely times where I got frustrated. Um, like, there were a couple missions in particular that I thought were a little bit um, kind of difficulty spikes that I wasn't expecting but it definitely had that quality to it this time around where I played it on easy mode and I just kind of was able to like sail through most of it and it really wasn't that challenging. And that definitely kept me hooked because I think I would have kept playing even if it were more difficult because that's what happened with all the other ones. But the fact that I played it on easy mode and it definitely felt easier like helped with that sort of hypnosis and in gameplay. Interesting. Um, I ended up picking up a copy of this game. There was a pretty big sale a while ago, and I picked it up not because I am a fan of Far Cry in general, but because I think I'm maybe a fan of the offshoots. Um, I did buy Blood Dragon. I haven't played it yet, but everybody said that was a really fun one that you should get into, and I'm like, okay, cool. Um, I loved Primal, and that was like definitely like the big you know left turn for the series where it was kind of out in the middle of nowhere it wasn't related to anything you know similar systems but totally new experience i thought that was just a really really fun time and i thought that this might be another one of those like outliers uh which is why i picked it up because i don't have much interest in mainline far cry but that sounds like 
a tactical mistake on my part. Would you say that this is is pretty much just another mainline Far Cry? Like it's not enough of an outlier? It's really not. And, you know, now that you bring that up, that makes me think of it. Because it's true that there is pretty much like a weird outlier Far Cry between all of the big releases. And this is the least outliery outlier one of any of them I've played. Like it, it almost feels like it could have been a substantial DLC. I mean, it's not short because I probably played it for like 20 to 30 hours. And like as a testament to me being hypnotized by this game, whenever I finished the main story, I went back and played more of it. Like I played more of it last night and more of it the night before. And I just like wanted to do these little offshoot things in it, you know, like do a few extra side missions or go back and finish some of the bases again and finish leveling up my home base and everything. So like, even when I finished it, I still went back and played more of it, which is just weird to me because usually I don't do that unless I'm really in love with the game and I'm not really in love with this game, but it just, it just feels good to play. I don't know. I can't, I cannot explain it that well. Interesting. 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 Well, I mean, it, it kind of sounds like the video game equivalent of like going to McDonald's because like McDonald's is not good food. It doesn't really <laughs> taste good. You don't feel good after you eat it, but like, Sometimes it's just easy and it's just like the lowest barrier to get over and you just need to eat something and, you know, you know, in your heart of hearts, you should be making something else or you should go somewhere else, but it's just right there and whatever. It kind of sounds like the fast food of, of video games. Would you say that's kind of a fair approximation? I, yeah, I would say that it's definitely like, I mean, it's not, it doesn't hold a mirror up to the human condition and it doesn't make me think about life in general or anything it, but it just feels good to play like i don't feel guilty for having played it nor having enjoyed it but it's just so mediocre but somehow it just feels good to play it just lulls me into this weird comfort comfortable state that i enjoy mo most of the time i guess hmm. interesting all right well any final thoughts before we move on um, my final thought, I'm glad you asked, because I do have one. Um, speaking of offshoots, I think, um, I guess I just want to take this segment to say, here's what I wish Far Cry would do in the future, and feel free to chip in if you want to, because something that annoys me about Far Cry is, you know, like I said, it definitely takes, most of the games are like, oh, you're in the wilderness and forest, the next game, oh, you're in the wilderness and a forest, the next game, oh, guess what, you're in the wilderness and a forest, but maybe there's some snow on the ground in this one section, um, I wish that Far Cry would do more really outlandish stuff because Blood Dragon was incredible because it was so silly, but it felt, it still felt like Far Cry, but like the whole setup was completely different. And I really, 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 really wish that now that like Crytek isn't really making crisis games anymore, because Crytek I don't really think is a thing anymore. Um, I wish that like they would sort of like seize that part of the market for their next game and make like more of like an urban Far Cry. I realize that skyscrapers and buildings kind of goes against what Far Cry stands for because they're generally set in like the woods or something. But I wish that they would do like an urban Far Cry, even if it was like I Am Legend or Last of Us where it's like everything's overgrown and there's like weeds everywhere and flowers everywhere. I just like want them to do something that doesn't feel exactly like everything else they've done before. Or if they wanted to do a sequel to Blood Dragon and make another ridiculous, you know, laser dinosaur and laser guns and, you know, beam saber game. I just like, I'm so tired of seeing them do the same thing over and over and over and over again with like literally like no innovation. It just feels like they're copy pasting everything over from one game to the next and making the maps slightly different. I, I just wish that they would do 
something else that's different that feels like what they haven't done before, but I know I cannot count on Ubisoft to ever actually do that. I totally hear what you're saying, and yet you just put like 30 hours into this thing, which you said is kind of the same old, same old. So is Ubisoft really wrong for not changing the formula? I am wrong. I am part of this problem. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I feel, I feel better about it knowing that I did not buy the game. You know, I mean, maybe that's rude of me to like, you know, rent it and enjoy it and whatever and like not having purchased it. But like, I mean, I think about how much I enjoy just the simple gameplay of it now. But if it took place in a setting that really interested me, like if it was in, you know, like Crisis, where it's like overgrown New York with weeds everywhere or, you know, something like that or on like a fucking moon in a space station, you know, it's like if they just did something different, I would I would love it instead of just being lulled into a sense of like mediocre comfort with it. And they could like really push it. It's kind of like when we talk about The Division 2, like The Division 2... You know, it has good level design in the story missions. It has, um, you know, uh, like the the moment-to-moment gameplay feels really great. However, if it had a story that we gave a shit about, like we would love it instead of just like it. And that's how I feel about Far Cry. Like I like them. But if they just pushed it a little bit further or like really went out of the box, um, I would just love them. I would love them. But I can't because every one feels exactly the same. So I'm forced to only like them. How terrible, right? I just have to like them instead of love them. Woe is me. Well, I think we have discovered that Ubisoft is the publisher which really excels at making really fucking boring games that you can't stop playing. I mean, (laughs) Far Cry and The Division. I think a lot of people said the same thing about Assassin's Creed. It's like, I don't think anybody's really excited about these games. And I think we're all kind of bored of them, but we just keep playing them. Uh, I, I mean, I mean, I guess fair play to, to Ubisoft. They figured something out. <laughs> it must be like some kind of subliminal signal they're putting in their games that we just can't turn off. Uh, because, you know, just like with The Division, that's a fucking boring game. And yet I really enjoy playing it and I, I, I can't stop playing it. And I think it's a fucking boring game, but I still come back to it. So that sounds I think we're both a little bit suckered into the uh, Ubisoft black magic here. Yeah, I like I said, it's pretty inexplicable i mean we do our best to explain how this you know how we come under this like state of hypnosis in the games but yeah i don't know they have mastered it and we are under their spell or at least i am for the time being right now all right well let's move on we have one final game to discuss uh and then we're going to wrap the show i was doing my best to finish this game before i came to the show because i really wanted to roll credits on it and I literally finished the game probably 15 minutes before we got on the podcast. <laughs> I, I thought it was going to be done a lot earlier, and it just kept going and going. And then I finally got, I finally got there because I didn't want to come on the show. I'm like being like, oh, I'm on the last boss, and I don't know how it ends. But I made it. I made it, Corey. And the game that I want to discuss, uh, no spoilers, by the way. This is a spoiler-free discussion. Is a Plague Tale Innocence, uh, which comes out from Asobo Studios. Uh, don't know what else I've done, but I'm really liking what I'm seeing so far. This is a solidly like B tier game. Like it's not, it's definitely not triple A. It's not even, it's not even A, but it's like B. But that's fine. I mean, we used to get a lot of B games all the time, and that was really where a lot of experimentation and a lot of good ideas came from. And I'm really glad to see somebody kind of doing the same thing. Uh, it's a narrative game. It's a third person game. Uh, it's pretty linear, pretty light on the gameplay. Like it's really trying to tell you a story about a sister and a brother who are growing up in medieval France. Uh, 
the Black Plague is around. Uh, there is a ridiculous number of rats all over the place. It's pretty. <laughs> they have pioneered rat technology in this game because there are so many fucking rats on screen. You would just not even believe. Uh, <laughs> like, it's just, it's it's out of control. Like, there's just so many rats. Um, so, it's about this brother and sister. The brother is sick. The sister wants to take care of him. The Inquisition sweeps through the town, fucks shit up, and they just are, like, escaping and they need to find a better life. Um, there's more to it than that, but I don't want to give away too much because, as is the case with most narrative games, it's kind of like the reveal and the learning and the discovery is kind of half the appeal. Uh, so I won't spoil anything. This is totally spoiler-free discussion. Um, you start off having a sling as your only weapon, and you can pick up rocks in the environment, and you can shoot them at things. Um, there's lots of little puzzles. Uh, there's lots of stuff to get through but really like there's only ever one course and if you don't know where you go the game will remind you where you're trying to go if you don't remember what you're trying to do the game will remind you what you're trying to do and it's it's super linear like i mean you know you cannot go to point b without finishing point a you cannot get to c without finishing b so they make sure that they they know what you're doing they know what story you've seen and along the way you will kind of like pick up other friends you'll meet other people You'll kind of get a little crew together, and it's a pretty cool little story. I'm not going to give you any of the twists or turns, but there's definitely more to it than just surviving. Um, and I, I think it was pretty well done. It's pretty well done. The graphics, I think, are actually quite impressive for a B-tier game. Uh, a lot of really beautiful vistas. A lot of time was spent in making these environments look very gross and medieval and just nasty. I mean, you know, I don't. I mean, I think that was back in the day when people thought like bathing was like bad for you, so like nobody ever took a shower and. No one even had fresh water to begin with, even if you did want to take a shower. And things just look like they smell, and it's just filth all over the place. This game looks real filthy, but in a good way. Like, it's very accurately portraying the environment they're trying to get across. I think the character models are really good. The voice acting is real good, real good in this game. Um, you can have, I think, a choice of different voice tracks. Since the game is set in France, you can't have a French voice track. I, I turned it to English. Um, and I think the English voices were quite good. Um, very well done. The actors do a really great job in emoting, and I really believed them in, in their delivery. I think they did a wonderful job. Music is also surprisingly noteworthy. I don't usually talk about music, but they had this really cool score. Uh, a lot of just really, like, gothic kind of sounding uh, tracks and a lot of, like, you know, a lot of mood music. Like, it was very, very good. Um, um, the production level is really good for a B-tier game. Not perfect, of course, because, I mean... There's a little bit of jank here and there. I think that, uh, you know, you might run into some problems when you're trying to get through, like, a corner in the environment. Or when you're when you're doing the rats... Let me, let me, let me just set the scene a little bit. Like, there are so many rats in this game. <laughs> it's like... You'll hit, like, a, like a river of rats. There's be like, there'll be, like, an ocean of rats in front of you. And they're all moving independently. They're all kind of just, like, flowing over each other and jumping on each other's heads and going back and forth. And they're just, like, writhing... And you can see their beady little fucking eyes looking at you. I mean, it's it, I cannot describe to you how many rats there are on screen. It's pretty impressive. Um, but you eventually find a way to deal with the rats. Like, sometimes you need to just, like, get them out of your way because you got to get through somewhere. Or sometimes, I mean, you can't touch them because they'll bite you to death and you get swarmed. And so you got to, like, stay away from them. <laughs> Is this, like, in the realm of Dishonored, sort of, in this vein? It's like Dishonored times 10,000. Like, that same... <laughs> It's way more than that. Like, it's way more than that. But yes, the exact same thing. 
Like the rats will come, they will devour you, they'll strip the flesh from your body if you get too close to them. And so sometimes when you figure out a way to manipulate them, it looks a little goofy when you're moving them around. Like I don't think they quite mastered making it look supernatural, as in not supernatural, but like not very natural or natural enough. Um, so that's a little bit goofy. That's like kind of their beat here showing through again. Um, it's also the kind of game where you'll come up against a puzzle. Like, let's say, for example, the puzzle is that your main character has to break a chain with her sling. Like, there, maybe there's like a, a, a box. She needs the box to climb on top of the box. The box is suspended from a chain. You got to break the chain with your sling by flinging a rock at it really hard and it'll break the lock, right? So it's this is the kind of game where if you get to a puzzle like that, there is always a bag of rocks right there. So like, you're never going to like be missing the thing that you need. Like if there's, if you need to make some potion to like start a fire, like all the ingredients are like right there in that room if you need it. So it's never like, you're never stuck. You know what I mean? And it, it kind of seems kind of gamey. Like, Oh, I just walked into this room and here's these things that I need to make a fire. Obviously I'm going to make a fire right here. Like, I mean, it's, it's not challenging you in that way. Like, I mean, sometimes it may take you a minute to figure out what you got to do, but it's usually pretty simple and uh just you know you're never left high and dry you're never in a situation where you're trapped you never need to go back and like scrounge for materials or something there's always a way through they don't they don't really want you to stop i mean they want you to kind of roll the narrative along get it connected to the characters get connected to the story and they do a real good job of it honestly um the only other real b tier thing which i think kind of bugged me was that the camera has a very strange quality to it where you will it's like it starts out on the default as being pretty slow and you'll turn it. And one second after you stop turning it, it keeps turning for just like a fraction of a second. <laughs> it made me so fucking nauseous, dude. I was like, oh, my God, this camera is just like lurching. And I would try to turn it slowly and it wasn't turning slowly enough. And then I would try to speed it up a little bit. And then like the camera would just like swing wildly the other direction. And then I would stop and it would keep moving for just like like a fraction of a second. And that fraction of a second, oh, my God, it went straight to my fucking gut, dude. Like, I totally thought it was going to hurl. It was real bad. It was real bad. I tweeted to the developers, and I'm like, yo, you guys got to patch this shit because this is, this is, this is bad. Um, you can go into the menu and tweak the settings. And I was, like, for the first day that I played it, I must have spent, like, an hour tweaking the camera just trying to get it to a place where it didn't make me feel nauseous. I finally, I cranked up the sensitivity really, 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 really high so that I only had to barely nudge the stick. And then I, I tried to touch the camera as little as possible. And in this particular game, because it's so linear, you can't actually get away with that for long stretches of the game where you don't really need to turn the camera. Either you're walking forward or the scene will pan itself. And so like it don't, you don't need to worry about it. Uh, that's, that's like the biggest thing was just like that camera. I'm like, oh man, it made me so nauseous. Uh, but I did find a I did find a safe spot after a while, and then I was okay. And once the once the nausea went away, it was much better. Um, but I the story was quite good. I thought the story was um, really involving. And again, don't want to spoil it, but kept my attention all the way through. I really liked the characters, loved the dialogue, loved the voices, loved the music. Graphics were beautiful, uh, and it's totally one of those B tier games where like it's the kind of thing where I would just like sit down with it, and I would want to just keep playing. Um, not exactly in the same way of Far Cry that you just described, but it was like the story beats kept coming. The action wasn't really too challenging, but it was just challenging enough to be interesting, but it was never like a barrier. So like I would just do one more puzzle or I would just do one more room or I would just do one more area 
and I just didn't really ever want to stop playing it. So that that's a really good quality too. I really like that a lot. Like I never got tired of it. Um, the only other thing that I will say is that this game does not do combat very well, which is probably a good thing because they don't do it that often. But sometimes there will be guards that you will need to get past. Usually they start you out with like hitting them in the head with a sling and that's no big deal. But as you get further in the game, sometimes they start sending like two or three guards your way, or sometimes like a guard will have a helmet. And so you'll have to do something special to get his helmet off. And it kind of involves a little bit of finger dexterity. And I just don't think this game is great with action. Um, I would often die three and four and five and six times at a combat scenario, not because I didn't know what to do, but just because it was kind of awkward to do it. This game is not built for fast action. And so the few times that they want you to actually get in there and mix it up with the enemies are not great. Those are not great. I wish they would have um, not done those or done them differently or just made them easier because the game is so lovely. It's got a really good flow to it. But then when you die and you're doing this like combat scenario six times and you know what you're supposed to do, you just, just can't do it. It kind of, you know, kind of took me out of the experience a little bit. Kind of was a little bit of a drag. Um, so I'm not too big on this game's combat. Uh, full disclosure, there is kind of a combat scenario as a final boss thing, which I wasn't really a huge fan of. Not terrible, but again, it was one of those I had to do it like 10 times just because it was kind of hard to do with my hands. Um, but overall, liking this game quite a bit. I know I've been really vague. I'm really sorry for that. I know I didn't give a lot of details, um, but I do think that in a narrative game, you got to kind of go through it yourself and, and, and go on that journey because that's really what the game is about. It just wants to tell you a story. Uh, but it's a good one. I like the characters. I like the story. I like the graphics. Um, it was just a really pleasant game to play. I'm really glad I spent time with it. And uh, I, I miss games like this. I miss getting these kind of like semi-janky, mid-range, budget, B-tier titles. Because those are my bread and butter in the PS2 days. Like, I played all these. And there were so many neat ideas and so many interesting things that you would come across that AAA games wouldn't do. And so if you wanted something a little different, you had to go to the B-tier. And I love the B-tier. So I don't say that as dismissive or anything not it's not an insult i love it so i miss games like this i wish we would get more b-tier games I, I just had a great time with this one yeah i mean i guess i understand what you're saying here about the b-tier versus a-tier thing because like in a sense you know you have like your quote-unquote a-tier games but the problem that comes with sort of like a big triple a game is that they tend to feel really safe and really formulaic and yeah they might have like better graphics than any other game out there or they might be longer than any game out there or something like that, but they often feel like you've played one, you've played them all. And something that's really great about sort of like B-tier games is that they're not afraid to take risks, even if maybe those risks don't pay off. And they're not afraid to be a little bit different than games that are like little outs, like on the outliers of, you know, what you would consider like a successful game. And I feel like it's better to play or for maybe me or maybe us in general, like I always prefer games that, you know, they don't have to be polished to death. They just have to feel like more original or more interesting, or maybe like, even if it tries something and fails a little bit, the fact that it tries it in the first place and like gets me thinking about that kind of like mechanic or that kind of story beat or something like that is more interesting to me than playing something that feels like it's been play tested to death to appeal to the biggest common audience. I'm glad you said that because I totally agree. I would much rather have an interesting failure than a super polished piece of boring, you know, more of the same. <laughs> and the one thing that I didn't mention about this game is like this game has 
heart. Like when you play this game, you can tell immediately that the people who made this game absolutely give a shit about what they're doing. You can tell that they fucking care that they want this game to be the best thing because there's so many little touches that just could have easily been skipped or like so many little things where you're like, they didn't need to make this room look as gross as it did. Cause I, I walked through it in three seconds, but they took the time to make it look beautiful. These character models didn't need to be this good or, you know, they didn't need to take that extra scene where they talked about their feelings, but they did. And even though this game is not a triple A game, even though it's kind of janky in some places, it's definitely not a perfect game. You can absolutely tell that the people really, really cared about this, that they loved what they were doing, that they really wanted to make the best possible game. And I mean, it, it really showed like, I mean, I really picked up on that vibe and I really respect the way they did because I totally agree. I would love an interesting busted game over something else. This kind of, um, I was watching Twitter and, uh, Patrick Klepek who writes over at uh, waypoint. I follow him on Twitter and he made a really good comparison. He said that he felt like this game was kind of in the same basket as, um, vampire last year. Do you remember vampire? Yes, I remember playing it and not liking it. <laughs> totally. Like, it not, not for everybody, but the same kind of thing where they were trying something new. It was kind of janky. They didn't have the budget they needed, but they also really cared about their game, and they really were trying to do something different. And I think probably Plague Tale is maybe more successful at what it's trying to do than Vampire was, because Vampire had a couple of pretty serious problems with it, even though I really enjoyed it and I finished it. Um, I think Plague Tale is more successful at what it sets out to do, but I think both of those, I mean, that's a pretty good comparison on Patrick's part because they both are that same interesting, maybe kind of broken, but not really, not too polished, off the beaten path, definitely not going to be something that a AAA company would put out. Um, maybe you struggle with it, maybe you don't. It's kind of weird. But like, just even going through it and having that experience, I think, is valuable in and of itself. And so I, I love games like this and I'll accept them warts and all as long as it seems like the developer gives a shit i think they did in vampire i think they very much did and in plague tale i absolutely believe that these developers were pouring themselves into this game it definitely shows it definitely shows and that's one of the strongest qualities about it i mean it's it's pretty impossible to not pick up that these guys loved what they were doing and are really trying their best i have um one question for you before we move absolutely on. absolutely um i've seen because i've kind of seen some of this stuff like kind of like in the tertiary of my Twitter feed, but enough to kind of get me interested in the game. And now you talking about it has um, made me more interested, but I keep uh, kind of seeing people say that it's the, that the game is, has like pockets of like kind of like horror and kind of scary stuff. And I know that, you know, between us on the podcast, you're kind of infamously the guy who kind of runs in the opposite direction of horror games, but here you are playing it and have finished it. So is like, how big is like the creep factor and that kind of stuff within the realm of horror games in it? Um, I wouldn't call this a horror game at all. I mean, I think I would say that it's, I mean, okay. So like, if you have like a rat phobia, you'll fucking <laughs> die. I mean, this game is like wall to wall rats. Like it's, I can't even like however many rats you're imagining in your head right now, like multiply that by like a thousand. Cause it's even more rats than you think it's going to be. Like it's like rivers and oceans and pools and just like, you can't even fucking see the floor because there's so many rats. So like, that's how many rats there are. If you have, if you have a rat phobia, you will not be able to play this game. Uh, I do not have a rat phobia. Uh, I do not like horror games. I do not like scary games. I didn't think this game was scary. Uh, I think that there are some scenes where it's pretty brutal. Like sometimes people get killed and you're like, oh damn, that was kind of harsh. Like that was that was pretty mean. Uh, there's a little bit of cruelty. There's a little bit of uh, body horror. There's a little bit of um, 
a lot there's a lot of people getting eaten by rats there's a ton of uh, <laughs> ton of people die by rats um but no it didn't it didn't trip any of my horror triggers at all i didn't i never felt scared i never felt worried i never i didn't start to sweat like the way like a really creepy game will i never looked over my shoulder and i never jumped at anything so there's no jump scares there's no nothing like that at all i mean i think there are horrific elements as in the sense that wow it would be really terrible to be eaten by rats and that's you know or the bubonic plague was really terrible that looked like a terrible time to live in that sense but not in the sense of like i'm so creeped out in the way that resident evil creeps me out or something like that not at all okay understandable i don't have a rat phobia either i mean i'm also not like afraid of horror games but there are certain things that I have phobias about, such as spider crabs, which we have discussed at length on the show, but if this game doesn't have spider crabs, I feel like I'll be safe. Literally, not even one spider crab. I was a little <laughs> disappointed. Uh, but I definitely recommend it. I don't know that this would be your jam, but I think it's worth a shot. And if you like these kind of narrative games, um, it's been a while since we've gotten one like this. I'm trying to think of the last similar game that we got that was kind of in the same basket i think vampire was even it was like more open world and it was more actiony this one is like pretty much a narrative game like it's all about telling you that story and i honestly can't even remember the last time i played one that was like this i mean i could probably name you off a bunch from the ps2 era maybe even the ps3 era more so ps2 um i'm sure there must be some but i'm kind of blanking so this one sticks out in the sense that it feels very different than a lot of the games we're getting today just because it's so linear, so straightforward, and so narrative. But I don't say that in a bad way. I really, I had a great time with it. And honestly, after um, spending 40 hours with Sekiro or whatever, this was a fucking breath of fresh air. Like, this game wants me to play it. Combat is not too hard. Like, it's all about the story and stuff. It was a really great change of pace for me. So I think this is the right game at the right time. And I just really, um, I want to applaud these guys. I think they did just a wonderful job. You know what else is kind of similar? Is what is the... Um, you and I both played it, I'm pretty sure. What was the HP Lovecraft game that we played? You're going to say recently? Call of Cthulhu? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's similar to Call of Cthulhu in that it is it is as narrative-focused. Um, and it, there is... Yeah, yeah. That, I think that's a very good, com- uh, very good comparison. If you liked Call of Cthulhu, uh, just like how it handled story, how focused it was on story, and how it was kind of pushing you forward to keep seeing the story, kind of similar with Plague Tale. So definitely not the same content. There's no tentacle monsters. There's no <laughs> uh, cosmic horror. Uh, but the same sort of narrative kind of thing. Yeah, the whole time, that's funny, because the whole time you were talking about it, I was actually thinking about Call of Cthulhu, because they sounded like sort of of a similar vein to me, but um, that's good. I'll have to add this to my game like you. I cannot believe that we've talked about video games this week, and both games you talked about, I was maybe didn't know much about or I was lukewarm on and now I want to play both of them. I can't believe you're selling games to me right now, Brad. Job done. Job done. This game, uh, this this podcast brought to you by Gamefly. So put those things on your queue immediately <laughs> and go, uh, go get them. Uh, it's funny you say that, though, because I, I, I'm actually next week. I think it's going to be an all Gamefly week for me. So maybe I'll sell you on a couple more. We'll see. Mm, maybe. I look forward to it, although... I, I kind of go back and forth on having a backlog, and right now I have, like, two. I have, like, two games on my backlog. Oh, my gosh, whoa. Like, so many games on my backlog. <laughs> <laughs> but two usually games. I, I just kind of bounce back and forth between games. I think I have more than two. I probably have maybe, like, four or five that I can think of. Um, but I also have an ever-growing list of PC games that are, like, at my disposal that maybe I don't, like... I'm not, like, burning to play right now, but they're there if I want them. So, uh, I don't know. I always welcome more games into uh, my backlog, though. 
just out of curiosity, how many games, like if you looked at your, your PS4, your, you know, whatever you've got on Steam, on PC or whatever, like any, any of your systems, all your systems, like if you just roughly had to think about how many games total, like maybe you bought them on the eShop or something and you never got around to them, or maybe you got them in your, your PS4 library, uh, and you never downloaded or something, but like how many games do you think you have like all together out of all your systems? How many games are your backlog total? Would you estimate? I I I I don't think I can estimate it because honestly, on consoles, I don't buy games that often that I don't play immediately or within like the next couple of weeks. Um, I mean, I know because I like I don't usually I don't buy stuff just because it's on sale. I I, I realize the Switch and the PC are kind of exceptions to that rule a little bit because, like I said earlier, I bought Castle of Heart and really didn't know about it and I bought it, but I bought it and then I immediately started playing it or I played it like the night that I bought it or something like that. So it's rare for me to find a game and say, hey, it's on sale or hey, I want to play this, but I don't want to play it right now and buy it. Usually I buy stuff because I know I want to play it soon or because I know I'm available to at least try it soon. Um, But sometimes on, so like on the PS4 and the Xbox One, I maybe have like, like two games on wow. those systems wow. but but like on the switch i probably have like maybe like four or five and on the pc i mean the pc is a little different because patrick and i are both buying games on it a lot so i have like a probably like i mean this isn't to say that i'm interested in playing all or any of them but there's probably like 30 games on steam that we have in the library that either aren't installed or i have never played that doesn't mean i want to play them but they're there if i want to so i don't know i'm usually pretty good about not buying games unless i know i want to play them soon or you know not buying them just because they're on sale well you are a better man than i i am very impressed at the (laughs) very nice tight uh small size of your backlog that is pretty pretty impressive man uh thanks i guess (laughs) (laughs) all right i got nothing else for the show Corey, you got something else uh i don't think so i think i'm ready to close it out if you are all right let's wrap it up folks thank you for listening this brings us to the end of the show really appreciate you being here uh happy you join us for the ride we will be back again next week with another episode as usual uh before we wrap up just a reminder that i will be giving away some switch games i named them off earlier in the show i think i named off like five or six uh and this is your last chance at free games if i get some takers maybe i'll do it again if i get no takers then i'm gonna pack it up because clearly you guys don't want free games (laughs) if you do if you do how do you enter the same way you send us your comments thoughts feedback ideas anything else you'd like to so video games podcast at gmail.com just tell us you want to win a Switch game or share your thoughts, feedback, whatever you want. One email address does it all. You can also post comments for us at GameCritics.com after the show goes up. And we are on Twitter as a show collectively, at SoVideoGames. But you can reach us individually. Uh, I am on Twitter and Instagram, uh, B-R-A-D-G-A-L-L-A-W-A-Y. Corey, where can they find you? I am also on Twitter and on Instagram. My usernames for both are the same. They're also my first and last name, which is Corey Motley, C-O-R-E-Y-M-O-T-L-E-Y. Excellent, excellent. And that is it for us, episode 132. Thank you once again. And as usual, or I guess maybe not so usual lately, but 
usual in general we do have banter after the closing music this episode so stick around for that if you are so inclined uh but either way in the meantime this is bye from brad and bye from Corey. we will see you guys next week something and it appears in like 10 seconds in my inbox yeah what a drag i hope things get better soon oh my god <laughs> i was just complaining too i had no, actually no i'll save it for banter sorry all right that's fine <laughs> all right ready i mean i guess although we're not really doing a hard opening because we're doing banter yeah it's fine whatever we're doing it doing it anyway things <laughs> why did are i happening. stop myself from the story that i was just about i don't to tell. know I'm so tell the story we're doing this we're doing this is the appropriate place for stories feel free <laughs> I was just going to say that um, I, I had a couple of friends over unexpectedly for a few minutes. That's why I was a little bit late to recording. Um, and they, I was, they're about to move from Baton Rouge to New Orleans and Levi and my friend was asking me about like how we came to live in um, the place that we live in. And I was kind of telling him a little bit of the story, not that there's a lot of story, but um, I was kind of telling him about how in the past like three apartments I've lived in, um, there's been like something that I grew up with that has gone away, which sounds really mysterious, but I'll put it into context. So like the first two apartments ago in Omaha, which was our second apartment um, in Omaha, we did not have like whenever you're at your kitchen sink and you have like obviously the sink and the handles, but you also have like the spray nozzle that's off to the side. You know what I'm talking about? Sure, sure. We did not have that there. And that was one of those things that I had grown up like I just always had one. Like it was in my childhood home. It was in my first apartment, my second apartment, my third and fourth apartments. And then, so it's one of those things that you just like, don't really think to look for. Cause it's just always there. And whenever we figured out that we didn't have one, I mean, I had a moment, like a total first world problems moment of like, Oh my God, how will I ever survive without a kitchen sink sprayer? And then everything was fine. <laughs> like, obviously everything was fine. It wasn't a big deal. And then whenever we moved here, we not only don't have the kitchen sink sprayer, but we don't have a garbage disposal. And a garbage disposal is something that I also always had growing up. So I had another first world problem moment where I was like, oh my God, however will I dispose of this food on my plate if I don't have a garbage disposal? Like what injustice is this? And then come to find out a garbage disposal is not really that necessary. So I was telling them about how basically like, you know, we're talking about email and technology and, um, you know, oh, how rough we have it. Um, like that was kind of like a, just a housing thing for us. Like I got so used to a spray nozzle, didn't have it, didn't think I would be able to ever survive without it. And then I was totally fine. Same thing with the garbage disposal. Life went on. We are garbage disposal list, but who am I to complain about not having a garbage disposal? Like, let's be real here. I get a garbage disposal because I mean, I have one and I have a sprayer too. Uh, and I use the disposal fairly often because I find that if I throw the food in the disposal, then it doesn't stink up the actual garbage can that we have. And so I don't, I can empty the garbage less often and it gets less full. Some people compost. We don't have a compost thing here. Um, that's another option, but uh, yeah, the disposal is good. 
I never use the sprayer, though. What do you ever do with your sprayer? Why is it so vital to your kitchen routine? <laughs> well, apparently it's not vital, but at the time, I always used it whenever I was cleaning. It kind of goes in conjunction with the garbage disposal because I always used it if I had, like, excess food on the plate or, like, food that was kind of, like, maybe dried to a plate if it had been in the sink. And just, like, having the extra water pressure from the sprayer, like, up close and personal with whatever food was like kind of dried onto the plate plus like the soap and maybe like you know like a spongy um, handle thing um it just like worked because it was kind of like a fire hose like it or like a like a pressure washer like it just like the extra pressure from this handheld spray nozzle would like help the food get unstuck more i mean at least that's how i remember using it but it's been a while since i've had one interesting i was i was waiting for you to say like Oh, on a hot day, I would run inside the kitchen, just spray myself in the mouth to help me cool off or something like that. Uh, no, I, I would be more guilty of, like, sticking my head in the freezer than doing that, probably. Yeah, okay. Now, I mean, we have a sprayer. I never use it. I just, like, I just don't ever... I, I, like, when I use it, I sometimes spray, and then, like, some of the backsplash from the spray gets on me, and I'm like, oh, what a fucking pain. Like, now I'm wet, or, like, now I'm, I'm misty, and I don't want to be moist right now. So I don't, uh, I don't ever use it. I can't remember the last time I ever used it for anything, but interesting that you had a childhood attachment to a sink sprayer. That's, that's uh, first time I think I've ever heard somebody say that. <laughs> I mean, it's just something I was always used to having, and then... When it wasn't there, and you think, wow, whatever will I do? But really, it's not that important of a piece to living every day, I guess. True enough, true enough. I'm going to change gears 100% on you. It has nothing to do with sinks or sprayers. I just, and it, I shouldn't even be bringing this up because this is game related, and I know oh, this is Brad, the game turn. I know, on, I got man. you. I got you. We're doing it. <laughs> I thought you would be particularly interested to find out that Whitaker, my son of age 10, is currently playing uh, What Remains of Edith Finch. Oh, hell yeah. Is he mature enough to understand what's going on in that game? I mean, we might have to explain some of the themes, but he's just kind of rolling through it and kind of... He's really interested in um, creepy, macabre, you know, gory stuff. And I think that the death overtones in every story is kind of right up his alley. Whereas we, we talk about death all the time. It's not something that we're afraid of or it's not like the D word in our house or anything. Like, we just... <laughs> We talk about the, you know, the circle of life and everybody's going to be gone one day and people live and people die. And, you know, he's kind of, you know, not that we're all like totally at peace with it or anything, but it's something that we talk about and it's not a foreign concept. So I think he's probably fine with it. I'm watching him over his shoulder and uh, uh, it's going pretty good. He's I he was he was like I was like, it's it's free on PS Plus this month. I was going to mention that in the main show. Um, so I'm like, oh, you know, I bet you'd probably like this. And he's like, yeah, whatever. And then I'm like, no, it's like free for the month. It's free. Just download it. Yeah. OK, whatever. No, son, it's free. Will you please just like I, I, I'm I am fifty percent of you. I think you would like this game. Please go download this show. Uh huh. Uh huh. And then whatever happened, he just got the hair up his ass today, and he's like, "Yeah, I want to download that." And like, he's like, "Oh, this game is great. I love it." So, dad I, was right. I, what I want in this scenario is I am I'm fearful that he will have the same experience that I had whenever I was young and played. So my my story related to this is. And I may have said this before, actually maybe multiple times, whenever the first time I played Silent Hill 2, I think I was like 12 or 13. And yeah, you mentioned this. I remember this. Yeah, yeah. And like, and Edith Finch kind of falls in line where there are two of the very few games that I think you have to have like a good amount of life experience to like really understand the gravity of what's going on in them. And what I want to happen is for your son to then 
come back to what remains of Edith Finch whenever he's like 25, like if that's even possible in the time and play it and see like, because whenever I played Silent Hill like a decade later, it affected me in a lot of different ways than I expected it to because I just knew more about life and the human condition than I did whenever I was like 12. So I, I would like for that to happen with him if that were a possibility and maybe him to compare and contrast how he feels about it then versus how he would feel about it whenever he's older and maybe like understands more about just like life at large. Well, I mean, mark it on your Google calendars <laughs> and in 15 years, we'll have him guest on the show and we can be like, we'll play a clip of this show <laughs> and we'll be like, when you were 10, your dad like totally like had poor judgment and let you play this super mature game that you should have been playing. Now that you're 25, what do you think of it? And we, it'll be a pretty good segment. Well, I, I also want to clarify that I don't think it's poor judgment on your part. I think because the game's oh, no, not that was, like... that was me. That was me interjecting <laughs> that. I mean, I think the game is definitely approachable for all ages. And there's definitely a big, like, factor of, like, whimsy and sort of, like, fairy tale stuff that goes along with it, which I love. Um, but I just think that, like, some of the themes in it maybe aren't... It's kind. Of, I mean, it has layers. I mean, so does Silent Hill. There's a lot of stuff out there where it's like you think it's one thing, and then you get to a certain age and you realize that maybe it's about other stuff. And I, I think he'll still be able to enjoy it at his age now, but I think he would maybe find more or a different appreciation for it if he were playing it and he were older. Oh, totally, 100%. I mean, uh, I think he's enjoying just the fantastic. Like, the whimsy you said is a really good word. Like, you know, oh, secret passages. Oh, hey, I'm a cat. Oh, I'm an owl. Oh, now I'm a shark, <laughs> and I'm rolling down a hill. And now I'm the Kraken and I'm pulling guys off a ferry. Like, you know, so he's he's enjoying that aspect of it. But I, I, I'm sure if he came back in another 10, 20 years, once he's lived and loved a little, he'll get more out of it or see different aspects of it. Like, absolutely, for sure. All right. I will. I'm just going to mark it. I'm not really going to mark it on my calendar. I'll just say I will. And then in like 10 or 15 years, we can come back to this. Google alerts. There you go. <laughs> Uh, I got, you know, I got to be honest with you, dude. I just have a bunch of TV and movies this week because I just really haven't been doing very much. Did you have something that's like real life and significant or should we just talk TV and movies? What do you got? Um, I actually don't really have that much significant for banter. I failed to, I say every week I'm going to like start making a list of stuff, but I feel like between last week and this week recording, like nothing super significant has happened. And I mean, I have like... I don't know. I don't really think I have a ton to talk about. I have like a very, very minor TV thing to talk about. And that's really about it for me this week, unfortunately. All right, let's just do TV and movies then. Let me do one. I got like a bunch. Let me do a couple of mine. Let's do yours and then we'll finish off with mine and then we'll roll on the show. How's that sound? Sounds like a plan. All right. So first off, incredibly ironic timing on this, but I started watching um, The Tick. Did we talk about this before on the show? The Tick? I don't on, think so. I think it's on Amazon prime or is it hulu it must be amazon um do you know what the tick is are you familiar with the tick at all as, as like an ip yes yes okay so for people who don't know um started off as a comic book a cult success comic book like 20 or 30 years ago uh i was one of the people that was reading it back then i thought it was hilarious really liked it a lot it became I, they've tried to do stuff with it many times over the years and it just something about it just never sticks like it's really funny it's really hilarious to read but something about it doesn't translate um, I think they did a series of The Tick on TV with Patrick Warburton as The Tick. He's just basically like a big blue superhero who's kind of invincible and super strong, but he's also like really kind of like crazy or demented, not like in a bad way, but he just thinks everything is kind of a joke and he just laughs about everything and he just kind of 
stumbles his way through life, and he is with a buddy called the Moth, who is just like a regular person who dresses up in a moth suit, and so he's invincible, the Moth is not, and they kind of have these weird adventures, and it's all like really kind of meta and jokey and weird. Um, it probably doesn't sound that fun as the way I'm describing it, but like the comic book was great, and the series with Patrick Warburton I didn't really watch because I gotta be frank with you, I'm fucking sick of Patrick Warburton. I just, I hate him now. I didn't used to hate him, but he's, like, in everything, and he plays himself in everything. Like, he doesn't ever act. Uh, he just does. You know the guy I'm talking about? You know the guy? I, I, I don't. If I saw a picture, I might perhaps. He was in a lot of video games, and he played himself in video games. It was just, he just, if you heard his voice, you would know exactly who I'm talking about. Um, and I'm, I'm halfway tempted to try to do an impression of his voice, but I don't think I could probably pull it off, so I'm going <laughs> to maybe skip that. Uh, but look him up on TV or on, you know, IMDb or something. I know you know who he is. Like, he's been fucking everywhere. And I just got really sick of him, and I just can't I can't stand him anymore because it's just, like, saturation. Uh, according um, to IMDb, he's in your favorite show, The Orville. Yes, he was in The Orville as a guest star as an alien. You could recognize him, but as soon as he opened his mouth, I'm like, oh, it's that asshole again. <laughs> so, yeah, absolutely. Um, so <laughs> he's not a recurring character, thank God. It was like a guest spot. <laughs> Uh, anyway, so they, they, that one canceled, didn't succeed. Um, they, and Amazon prime brought it back. New series of the tick, same premise, same idea. They gave it a little bit more of a psychological spin and it was a little bit darker. So it's kind of cool. And, uh, my son and I started watching it and I'm like, Oh, okay. This is kind of neat. Like they, they gave it a little bit of an edge and you couldn't really tell if the tick was like a real person or maybe the moth was just imagining him. And so there was like a little bit of intrigue there and it was kind of, it had a different flavor to it. Um, so we started watching it, and then, like, that week that we started watching it, they're like, oh, yeah, it's canceled. Oh. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, oh, shit, it's canceled. There was a big push to get it renewed. I think people were trying to get, like, Netflix to pick it up, or maybe somebody else was trying to pick it up. Like, Mark Hamill was, like, a fan of the show, and he wanted them to pick it up. And, like, you know, like, there's a bunch of other people who were like, oh, my God, save the tick. So I don't know if it's going to be saved or what, but it's got two full seasons. I'm pretty sure it's on Amazon Prime. I have not seen the whole thing, but I'm really liking it, and I don't believe they, like, wrapped it up at the end of season two, so <laughs> we may end up getting disappointed with a cliffhanger, but we'll see. I did like it, though, so if anybody else is out there listening, think they might like the tick, give that a shot. I think it's pretty good. Um, another show I want to give a shout-out to real quick. This is actually fucking hilarious. So, you probably don't know, but do you, have you heard of a guy called Zach Anner? A-N-N-E-R? No. He's a comedian... He's a writer. He's got uh, cerebral palsy, and he's been on a lot of comedy shows. He's never really been an A-lister. I've always seen him in, like, B and C-list kind of stuff. But, like, he's extremely distinctive looking. So, like, if you see him once, you're like, oh, it's that guy again. Because he just, he looks a certain way. And, like, there's no mistaking him for anybody else because nobody else looks the way that he looks. Uh, but I think he's fucking hilarious. I first saw him a couple years ago. Uh, when he was still able to walk, he did this comedy skit. Where he's like, yeah, I got cerebral palsy and I'm going to go work out in this park. And so, like, he got, like, his walker and he was, like, speed running in his walker and he was trying to do pull-ups and he was too weak to do the pull-ups. And it sounds really terrible, but the way that he does it is not really making fun of himself. It's kind of like he kind of invites you to kind of suffer along with him. And so he, like, has a really good attitude about everything. And so it doesn't, it doesn't to me feel like he's making fun of himself. It's just kind of like making fun of the situation. Maybe... That's a, a fine hair to split, but I, I thought it was really funny. I thought it was really funny. So we're screwing around on iTunes, and then I see that guy pop up again. I'm like, oh, it's that dude, that funny guy. And he had a, okay, so he won a show. Uh, Oprah Winfrey, the Oprah Winfrey Network, had some kind of contest, 
and two people got to win their own TV show. And he was one of the winners. It was him and one lady who had a cooking show. So Oprah comes out and she's like, yeah, you guys have won a show. Here's your show. And I'm like, oh shit, he's got a show. Let's go watch a show. So you can download a show on the Oprah network. We got the little app on our phone and it's called like, I don't know, like around the world with Zach or something like that. So by this point, his condition has deteriorated. He's fully in a wheelchair. He's looking thinner and he's less able than he was physically still funny, still sharp. And so he wheels himself to like six different cities to like, you know, just visit. And like, you know, he does funny things in each city. Like he goes to LA, he gets like a special milkshake made and they're like, oh yeah, we're milkshake of the stars. You can make your own milkshake. We'll name it after you. And here's one from Miley Cyrus. And here's one from Kim Kardashian. What do you want yours to be? And he's like, oh, I want you to call it the Handy Cappuccino. And I'm like, oh, that's really funny. Oh my God. <laughs> and then he goes to like dance with this like LA dance studio and there's like all these like super sexy like you know LA you know TV Hollywood dancers and then he's in his wheelchair like spinning around and they like court and, like they were doing it for real like they were like yeah what can we do with you in a wheelchair like you know what 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 can happen here and it was funny and weird and awkward but it was still kind of like lighthearted and positive and I'm sure this sounds really dark but it's actually not dark at all I thought it was really fun and cute so um, I, I looked him up on Twitter cause I'm like, ah, this guy's real funny. I want to tell him that I think this show's funny. So I sent him a tweet and I'm like, Hey bro, uh, really like your show. The travel show is really cool. I, I saw you on this other show and I'm really fan of yours. It's, it's all good. And he totally like, he responded back to me in like five minutes <laughs> and he's like, Hey, thanks for watching. Um, that show was like 11 years ago. Why are you watching it now? <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh, shit. I didn't realize it was 11 years ago. <laughs> oh, my God. I was like, oh, shit, dude. I was just scanning around on iTunes, and it popped up. I had no idea. It was, like, so old. He's like, yeah, that's over and done with, man. And that milkshake shop is closed, and that show oh. only ran for six episodes. And I'm like, oh, man. I'm like, that fucking sucks. <laughs> anyway, um, turns out that in the meantime, he has become a writer in Hollywood. He writes for... Speechless, which is currently a hit show on either NBC or ABC. It's about a person who does have cerebral palsy, I think, uh, which Zach describes as the sexiest of the palsies, which I thought was pretty funny. <laughs> but uh, he writes for that show. He's done some comedy skits. He's on YouTube, obviously, like everybody else does these days. Uh, I mean, if you can track down the travel show, it's really funny. It's on the Oprah Network. And Zach Anner, it's, it's first name Zach, Z-A-C-H, last name A-N-N-E-R. Uh, just a real funny guy. Look him up on YouTube. Look up his past stuff. I think, uh, he's got a real good sense of humor about his situation and I, I enjoy his kind of comedy. It's, it's, he's a pretty sharp guy. So pretty good times. Well, that reminds me of, uh, just the fact that you kind of compliment, complimented him at all reminds me of, uh, whenever I was in, <clears throat> I don't think I've told this story before, but whenever I was in doing my undergrad at the university of Missouri, I took a nonfiction creative writing class and, we went to, I think for part of the class, we had to go to certain like, not like workshops, but it was basically like exhibits of like people who were creative in the industry, um, kind of like talking about like the process or whatever. And actually, now that I'm thinking about this, I don't think it was for my creative writing class. I'm getting my memories mixed up right now. But along I, this... The minutiae doesn't matter. I always do this whenever I tell stories. I act like I have to get every fact exactly right when really nobody gives a fuck. So I was at an art studio and there was a guy who lived in Columbia who had been doing like, he did like screen printing 
and like that kind of art not necessarily for t-shirts but just like it was like screen printing instead of like painting or whatever and I, I need to go back and look at like an old notebook or something because I know I have his exact quote written down somewhere, but I I don't know it word for word, but he said something to the effect um, at the time of that he believes that if you're lucky enough to exist in the same time and space as somebody whose art has an impact on you, then you owe it to both of yourselves to tell them that. And I think about that quote a lot and usually if I'm reaching out to somebody like sort of in the way you did even if it was something super casual like you just sitting a tweet to somebody but um that's usually like kind of like my in into like feeling less awkward about complimenting somebody like that because it is like complimenting artists or famous people or whatever can seem kind of weird and kind of trivial and if I mean I suspect that maybe you and I are similar in the regard where like I don't know. I sometimes I feel like embarrassed whenever I want to like compliment somebody like that. And so like a while back I had emailed, there's a, a parkour photographer named Emily Ibarra and she works with a um, free running outfit called Farang, uh, F-A-R-A-N-G uh, pretty often. And she's like pretty prolific in like the free running community as a great photographer and because a lot of photographers in the free running community, and this doesn't mean they're not good, but a lot of them are like free runners who just happened to pick up photography because they like need someone to film them and their friends. And like, you know, cause most of the parkour guys I know are actually photographers and videographers themselves. And it's rare that there are people kind of like me and like her who are not athletes really at all, but we're just kind of there like documenting everything. And I remember emailing her like year, probably like four years ago um, and kind of using that line as an in and being like, hey, you know, I went to a lecture one time and, you know, for an artist and he said that if we're lucky enough to live in the same time and space as somebody else who makes an impression on us that we owe it to both of ourselves to to tell that person and to let them know. And so I sort of like opened, I mean, it, maybe it sounds a little pretentious, but I kind of like opened with that line to sort of like soften the blow of trying to sound too like fangirly and just being like, oh my God, I love your work. Because like compliments are great, but I feel like compliments that are like, sort of like backed up with reasons why you like someone's stuff or or better and so it was able to like I sort of like use that line to like smooth I don't know like to like buffer compliments sometimes whenever I'm like emailing somebody out of the blue like in that situation or um you know like there was a photographer who photographed um Ninja the streamer and it, he photographed him for the cover of ESPN probably about six months ago and I remember seeing that photo and thinking like, cause you know, I don't really care about Ninja. I think he's kind of a jerk or whatever, but I, I remember seeing the photograph and thinking, wow, this is a really wonderful portrait. And so I DM'd the photographer on Instagram and I basically used that line. I was like, Hey, you know, blah, blah, blah. We owe it to ourselves. And I just want to say, I think this photograph is really great. It's really fresh. And I gave him some reasons why I liked it. Um, so I don't know. That's just sort of like, whenever you're talking about that, just like tweeting somebody out of nowhere and like complimenting them, even though they're kind of a famous person, like it made me think about, me doing that sometimes and how I always like use that line to sort of like buffer the compliment with them. I think that's a good thing to do. Um, I mean, we're all human. I mean, you know, Beyonce was just a little girl one time, and, <laughs> you know, like we were all just a kid at one point and we were all people who didn't know where we were going and you know, what is it going to look like where we're growing up and what's, you know, are we going to be able to make our dreams come true? And I'm going to make this music or is anybody going to listen to it? I'm going to make this book. Is anybody going to read it? You know, like, I mean, we're all, 
we all started there. And I mean, obviously some people, you know, get success and it goes through their head and they get all crazy. But I think a lot of people are still just appreciative. I mean, I, um, I think I, I talked about this before, but like similarly, one of my, uh, probably my favorite author of all time. I mean, Joe Lansdale, I think I mentioned him on the show like a million years ago. Uh, but he joined Twitter a while ago and I saw that he joined Twitter and I'm like, oh my God, like here's my favorite author like of all time. I totally respect this guy like so much. I've read like every book he's ever read, written. And I tweeted him and I was just like, oh my God, Joe, like, you know, how you don't know me and I don't know you, but like, you know, I love your work and stuff. And like, he totally wrote back and he was like, oh man, that's so cool. Thanks for doing that. And same thing with a couple of other authors that I know. Um, Brian Keene, especially, I was really, one of his books is one of my favorite books called The Rising Shout out to The Rising. If you haven't read a good zombie book in a while, it's one of the best ones ever written, I think, like in the history of zombie books. Um, really great. Everybody I've ever recommended it to loved it. So check out that by Brian Keene. But I tweeted him and we had a nice little convo. And it's so cool because sometimes you can just catch people and be like, hey, man, I love your work. And like, they're just like, yeah, thanks, man. And like, it's all you just have a little human moment, you know, like people are still humans. You can write a, a, a million selling book or you can make it sell a million records, but they're still people. So, I mean, honestly, it's fun and funny you mentioned that because I was just telling the wife the other day, like, I think that's really like one of the greatest things that Twitter does. Like, I know there's a lot wrong with Twitter and I, I really am kind of angry with the people who run Twitter right now because I think they're doing a lot of bad shit. But like Twitter and social media in general, I think as a way, like if you like in, in a good sense, like I'm not saying like all the haters and the trolls and the harassers and all that stuff, but like in its in its most beneficial form is just a way for one person to reach out to another. And, like, you know, I would never in a million years have run into Zach Anner on the street. I would never <laughs> run into Joe Lansdale at, at, at Safeway, you know? Like, I would just never meet that person in my life. we just in totally different circles. Uh, but, you know, to send out a message and to have that person see that message and, and, and even better to respond if they feel like it is, like, fucking amazing. And so I think that's, I mean, to me, is really just, like, a gift almost sometimes and so i think that for people like you said to reach out and share that appreciation and just to let somebody genuinely know hey man i like what you did or hey you know i really appreciate this song or this painting or this picture or whatever is, is i think that's a cool thing to do i think it's a great idea yeah i think so too and i also think that no matter how kind of like you're talking about like beyonce like no matter how famous you get it's nice to still be told i mean i guess like there's probably like legions of people for really famous people who are like constantly you know, like tweeting or emailing or whatever to say that you're great. But I think it's better to be sincere, I guess, you know, instead of just being like, you know, me writing an email or you writing a tweet, just being like, oh my God, I love you. You know, it's better to be like, oh, I love this about you. And here's a couple things, reasons why or something. So it's, I, I feel like the people who are, even if they're not like really famous um, or just like famous in certain circles, like an author or a parkour photographer, um, like they can probably sniff out like kind of like bullshit compliments really quickly. And so the more sincere you can be about it, the better. And I think that, you know, that kind of stuff really sticks, you know, it's like, if I don't know, like, it's just, it's, it's like, it goes a lot farther, I guess, if you write something that's kind of like a little bit longer and more sincere than just being like, Oh my God, your book was great. And like, that's it. So, and I feel like you and I are both people who would do that kind of thing. Yeah, totally. I mean, in the sense, I mean, in the sense of like with Brian Keene, the horror author who wrote that zombie book, um, you know, at that, like it was around that time, I think I had just gotten uh, through with a divorce and I was like, oh, I was just really, you know, having feelings about that and stuff. And um, I read his book and I'm like, oh man, he just got divorced too. I can totally tell from reading this book. <laughs> and so I said, you know, that was one of the things I mentioned in the tweet. I'm like, hey bro, your book is awesome. So great. I love it. And I'm like, you know, this really seems like you just got 
divorce. So like as somebody who just got divorced, man, I give you like, you know, I'm giving you like a chest bump of support here. And he's like, yeah, man, I totally got divorced when I wrote this book. And I'm like, dude, I know. I can totally tell. And so, you know, it was just one of those funny little moments or anything. So it's actually funny, too. I didn't realize this, but um, Brian Keene is actually really good friends with Mike Bracken, who used to be at Game Critics. So they actually are like friends from way back in the day. Oh, uh, interesting. I had literally no idea. I was talking about this tweet that I had with Brian Keene and, and Mike Bracken, who used to be on the Game Critics podcast a million years ago and who who was a regular writer at GameCritics.com. He's like, oh yeah, that's Brian. We were, we're friends. We've been friends for like a million years. I'm like, what? <laughs> He's like, oh yeah, back in the day. And I'm like, holy shit. Like, so I guess the world is really a small place and social media is just bringing it uh, even smaller. So anyway, anyway. Um, couple more things to bring up really quickly. Quick shout out to a show on Netflix called Flinch. Have you seen this? I have not. It's so fucking bizarre. I don't know where Netflix got this or what. It's from Scotland. It's a game show from Scotland, which already in itself seems kind of bizarre. <laughs> uh, they take a bunch of people out to a farm, which kind of gives me very, like, Saw vibes or something. Like, you know, like, I'm expecting them to get slaughtered out in the middle of this, like, you know, remote ranch or something. But they they tie them up to these weird fucking contraptions. Um, I mean, it's like they'll be tied to a, a post... And then they will have like a washing machine suspended by a rope and they'll they'll swing it and it'll go straight towards their face and it'll stop like three inches from their nose and it won't hit them. But if they flinch, then they get like this punishment. And so like the punishment is like they get dunked like head first in this vat of like rotting water full of vegetables or something or like they'll have uh, balloons that like will will inflate right next to their heads. And if they flinch when the balloon pops then like some shit will like drop on them or something it's like this weird kind of i mean because you're going to flinch dude i mean human reactions you're going to flinch when this stuff comes at you like if, if a washing machine was shooting at my head i would totally flinch like it doesn't make you less of like a tough guy or anything i think it's just like a natural response um but then these guys get punished and then they come back and they do these other little flinch things it's like the weirdest kind of like sadistic weird i feel almost dirty for watching it like i'm watching some kind of like snuff film or something but Nobody actually gets hurt and nobody gets killed or anything. It's just weird and bizarre. And I mean, they laugh. Um, but when they put like a cage on your head and there's rats in it, that goes a little far, I think. But it's still good, clean fun, I suppose. Um, it's a really fucking weird show, but it's on Netflix called Flinch. Uh, and I guess it's ostensibly a game show, although no one ever wins prizes. They just like show up, get traumatized, and then go back home after it's done, I guess, for, for shits and giggles, I suppose. <laughs> that sounds terrible. It's kind of terrible. It's kind of terrifying. It's really weird, and you feel dirty afterwards, but it's kind of interesting also. So, I mean, thankfully, like I said, nobody gets hurt. There's no actual harm that happens um, other than people perhaps getting shocked with a car battery or something like that, which is pretty minor. But uh, <laughs> check it out, and maybe I'm sure somebody out there will, will, will get some value out of it. Does this sound like your kind of thing, Corey? Absolutely not. <laughs> I would never watch this. This sounds really stupid. <laughs> it's kind of it is stupid. It's stupid and it's weird. I've I've seen like four episodes of it and I'm just like, man, this is so weird. I don't know why I'm watching this. It's so bizarre, but uh, I don't know. I'll probably finish out the series and we'll see what happens. So anyway, <laughs> I got uh, one more thing to talk about. You got anything before I uh, before I keep rambling on? Um, I can insert a tiny uh, TV situation here. Please do. Um, please do. Yeah, I know it's pretty rare for me to like actually watch TV, so every time I do, I'm like, okay, now I have to talk about it. Um, so Patrick and I have been, I don't know, we like had 
dinner at home together a couple times last week, and usually, you know, I talk about on the show how we watch Star Trek and stuff together, but we haven't really been watching any Star Trek lately, and so we were kind of just trying to find something to watch. Something that's preferably, like, I mean, I don't have any problems with shows that are, like, an hour long, but whenever you're eating, I just kind of want something that's, like, 20 minutes or so. And we started watching uh, Russian Doll on Netflix. Have you seen this? I have not seen it, but I've heard a lot of people saying it was great, but I never watched it. And I do second your feeling. For me, 45 minutes is perfect. 60 minutes is way too long. So, <laughs> but go on go on with Russian Doll. <laughs> yeah, so we settled on Russian Doll because the, sh- the episodes are about, I think they're like 25 or so minutes a piece. So we were like, perfect. It's a short show. We can watch it while we eat dinner. And... Um, and I, like you, had heard about it before I watched it. It is a show uh, starring Natasha Leone. I think is how you say her last name. She is most recently famous for being in Orange is the New Black, but she's been in a lot of stuff. She's like one of those actresses where you know her, but you can never think of what she's been in. At least she's that way to me. Um, she's very recognizable, but... She uh, stars in it. She plays a woman who is at, she lives in New York, and she's at sort of like a, her birthday party. But it's kind of like, she's like middle-aged. She's turning like 35 or 40 or something like in that ballpark. And she is, uh, um, she's at her birthday party. It's kind of hipstery. Um, a lot of people there. It seems like it's in some kind of like warehouse or something that's been converted into an apartment. And the hook of the show is that she this isn't really going to be a spoiler. And if it is, I'm sorry, but this is like what the show's based around is that she dies at the, like in the middle of the first episode. And it kind of does like a groundhog day thing where she dies and then she wakes up. And so it's like a time loop show, but it's not like science fiction E time loop. It's just kind of like her dying. And then she wakes up and every time she wakes up, she's back in the bathroom, washing her hands at her birthday party And then she goes back out into the kitchen and talks to um, her friend that's, like, making dinner for everybody. And she thinks that the day keeps resetting because of this, like, it's like a, I guess, like a joint that's laced with cocaine that she smoked earlier. And she, like, thinks that there's something in it that's, like, making this happen to her. So every day she wakes up, she tries to, like, get farther in her life to try to figure out what's going on. And I'm probably setting it up to sound like it's some like, you know, drama mystery show, but it's actually like a comedy. Like it's kind of about her navigating her life and it's about, um, you know, like her relationships with other people and her friends. And there's like a guy that she's kind of sleeping with at the beginning, like in her first or second cycle. And I'm only two episodes in, so I can't really, you know, give like a definitive take. But um, the thing that I like about it is that, if I'm not mistaken, it's completely uh, written and directed by women. So that's really cool because a lot of times, even if you have a female director, it'll the show will be like written by men or produced by all men or something. And so it's cool to have like the writing staff and the lead and the directors all be women. Um, so, I mean, I wouldn't say that, I mean, the show, I guess, is like sort of feminist, but it's not really like over the top about like girl power or anything because that's like not really what the show's about. But it's cool to like have a show that's produced by women not be about being a woman, if that makes sense. It's kind of like... Totally, totally. Yeah, like not like every gay man has to direct like gay romantic comedies or something. So it's it's very cool in that regard. Um, and But I mean, so far so good. It's only a couple... I'm only a couple of episodes in. I like that the episodes are short. They're pretty funny. It's one of those shows where like, it's generally pretty good, but there's always like one line in every episode that makes me laugh really hard, which I think is pretty excellent. Um... 
And the, the other thing about it that I like is it's usually I like roll my eyes really hard whenever I find out that shows uh, that like sitcoms or TV shows are set in either like New York or LA because I hate, I've probably said this before on the show, but I, I cannot stand this idea that like everything has to be like New York or LA. Like there is a lot more country in the United States than just New York and LA. And I hate like when it, and it's specifically egregious about New York because there are so many motherfucking TV shows that take place in New York and like they make a huge deal in the show about how like it's in New York and New York this and New York that. And it's just really fucking annoying to me because New York is not the only city in the United States and I think it's really annoying. And the weird thing about this show is that it takes place in New York, but it's not like about New York. And I told Patrick the other night that just like the way the show is shot and the way that everything, like the colors in the show are really nice. Like it's got really good lighting, um, but it's not really obvious that the light, because there'll be like moments where she's walking on the street and like the neon signs from like shops next to her will be like reflecting and like half of her face will be like neon red. And then the other half of her face will be like regular colored because it'll just be like the street lights out on the street. But it's not done in a way that's like super duper obvious. Like it's not like jumping out and being like, hey, we lit this bisexually or whatever. It's just like really elegantly done. And I told Patrick that it's like maybe the first show I've ever seen that's set in New York that actually makes me like want to be in New York because when I think about living in New York my eyes roll so far back in my head that they almost get stuck but like in this situation it's just filmed in like a really effortless way that makes New York seem like interesting and appealing and it's not like and I think it's because the show is not beating the fact that it's set in New York over your head and so I really kind of like that aspect of it but um, but I, I recommend it. I'm only a couple episodes in, but so far it's funny, and I like supporting shows, you know, that are, uh, you know, kind of made by minority cultures or what have you. So knowing that it's like directed and written by women is like a super big A plus for me. But if I finish it, I will report back in the future how I felt about the rest of the season. Cool, 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 cool. Sounds good. Sounds good. Um, and yeah, I do like that quality, which seems kind of sad that we even need to talk about it as a quality. But like when you have like a person of color or a woman or a, you know, LGBT person. And they're just in a show and the show is not about that thing. Like yes. the show is not about like the gay experience or the show is not about being a woman or not about, you know, they're just, they're just a person. There's a person there doing a thing. Like there's something else happening. They're going on an adventure and this dude just happens to be gay, but that's totally not the whole point of the show. He just is there. He's just a guy like, you know, like that aspect of just like a person can be there and if they are not a white, cis, you know, binary person, then then it automatically is the focus of the show. No, like, there's all sorts of people going about their fucking day, walking down the street, having a burger, doing stuff, and, and it doesn't have to be the whole focus. Like, so I, I, it's sad that that, for us, has to be like, oh, I love when that happens, which, because we're mentioning it, means it doesn't happen enough. It doesn't happen often <laughs> enough. So that is kind of fucking sad, but I also celebrate it, but also I wish we didn't have to celebrate it because it's... People are fucking people, and you can have a story where it doesn't matter what someone's sexuality is, because who fucking cares? Because, <laughs> like, I don't know. I mean, I don't. When I go somewhere, I don't immediately ask somebody, "Hey, what's your ethnic background? Is that is that your is that your tragedy today?" Or I don't go. I don't talk to some guy and be like, "Oh, what kind of sex do you have?" Like, I need to know because it's part <laughs> of my story. It's, it doesn't matter. So, like, you know, I'm, I'm I love seeing shows where it fucking doesn't matter. And like, maybe three episodes in or four episodes in, that person, you know, casually kisses the their boyfriend and you're like oh that dude must be gay 
but they haven't brought it up in the last three or four episodes, and they're not bringing it up now. It just happened in like two seconds. Okay, so noted. You know, it was like it, I think I mentioned this in the Flash uh, when I was really deep into the Flash. I still love that show. I haven't watched it for a while. I plan to go back to it. I've got like nine seasons to catch up on. Um, but the chief of police in the Flash, just this dude being a chief of police, yells at everybody just like a regular chief of police does. He's solving crimes, whatever. And then like it was like two and a half seasons in. His, like, husband shows up, gives him a kiss, walks out, and you're like, oh, shit, the chief of police is gay. <laughs> and, like, they never talked about it. It wasn't, a, it wasn't even a thing. No one blinked. It, you know, the, the Flash didn't go and punch the gay husband. Like, he wasn't a supervillain. Nothing bad happened. It was just like, here's a little background detail for those of you who are paying attention. Chief of police is fucking gay. And then that was it. Like, nothing happened. And I'm like, that's amazing. It's amazing. That that was just a little detail and nothing happened. So I, I love when stuff like that happens. I totally hear you 100%. So we need more of that. Much more of that. Yes, I agree. Uh, one last thing, and then let's talk about some games. I saw a movie. We were just kind of on a movie kick lately. Um, today, we're going to be watching... Uh, the son and I are going to watch Gremlins, the original Gremlins. Have you seen that? Yes, 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 yes. I haven't seen it in a million years, but he's been really curious about it. That's going to be one more step on our journey into the horror dimension, and I think that's a pretty safe one to take. Uh, did you know, Corey, back in the day, there was Gremlins cereal? I did not know that. There was Gremlins cereal. Um, I bought it many times. There was a commercial with a theme song, uh, and it was Gremlins, Gremlins, bite after bite. What a tasty way to satisfy a gremlin appetite. <laughs> as long I can as you still... don't feed them after midnight, though. <laughs> exactly so. Exactly so. <laughs> Uh, so I remember the theme song. I remember the Gremlins. We're going to watch that today. Uh, but we, another movie we just saw, which is also kind of in the horror-adjacent uh, horror genre, was Escape Room. Pretty recent film. Have you seen this or heard about it? I have heard of it because it stars the chick that's in Daredevil. It's like her first like Hollywood movie, right? Exactly so. It also stars the girl who played the daughter in Lost in Space on Netflix, which I thought was a great show. Um, so yeah, there's like a couple Netflix people making their way to the big screen. Uh, basically this is about six people who get this like mysterious invitation to participate in an escape room and whoever solves it gets $10,000. But when you get there, it's actually a death trap. Surprise. <laughs> Amazing spoilish twist. Uh, so like they just go in there and, um, one of the guys turns out to be like this total like nerd and he's like, Oh, I love escape rooms. I've done all the escape rooms. I know all the rules. And he kind of like is the way for the director to explain to the audience, like what the fuck is going on. Because, oh, I love that. Okay. Yeah. Cause I'm guessing that a lot of people, I mean, I've done an escape room. Have you ever done an escape room? I have never done one. I've done, I want to say either one or two, maybe just one. <laughs> um, and it was okay. Like it was fun enough. Um, frustrating cause we did not escape and we were really, really super close. We just ran out of time, which was a bummer. Um, but, you know, basically for those who don't know, I mean, escape rooms are kind of becoming like a thing that you do with friends or like a lot of work workplaces use that as like a retreat or something. You, you go to this room, uh, you get locked in. There's clues in the room. You got to look around the room for clues. You got to figure out what puzzles are in the room. And if you're smart, you can put the clues together. And eventually, like you solve a number of puzzles in a row, one puzzle leads to the next. And then eventually you get like a key. You unlock the door and escape, and if you escape, then you win. If you don't escape, then you don't win. And usually they're like an hour time limit or like 90 minutes or something like that. So that's been going on. Uh, these people go in this escape room, and then there's obviously more to it. There's a couple twists and turns, but it was kind of neat. It was okay. It was kind of like, um, it was not very gory, 
and it wasn't super suspenseful, but there was just enough weirdness and danger to kind of keep us entertained, and we were kind of curious to see how it would go. I mean, it was all right. I mean, it wasn't terrible. I've heard some people say it was pretty bad. I didn't think it was pretty bad. I thought it was a perfectly acceptable B-movie where it wasn't quite horror. It wasn't quite, uh, you know, it wasn't gory. It wasn't super scary, but it was interesting. I mean, I don't think that I would ever really watch it again, um, but I'm fine that I watched it. I thought it was, I thought it was okay. <laughs> thought it was okay and it kind of made me want to do an escape room, but not the lethal kind. There's a glowing review right now. Yeah, it was like, it was okay. <laughs> kind of made me want to do an escape room. It was all right. So, I mean... <laughs> I guess I guess the takeaway not terrible and if you want something I mean honestly it's funny that I bring up saw two times in the same episode because we never really talk about saw but this one had some saw vibes to it where there's like traps and people like are on the verge of right about to die and they got to figure out what's going on to get off uh, get off of the danger zone but uh, it was it was not nearly as intense not nearly as gross and you didn't feel dirty after watching it so uh, it was fine it was okay that's all I got Corey you got anything else um I don't think so all right well i say if you got nothing and i got nothing that seems like a perfect time to start talking about some games what do you say sir i could not agree more all right let's talk about some games